Cinema Oddities, late night movies with Rob, Ben, and Zach. This is a podcast about racist movies, cinematic oddities, where we discuss any media that is too bizarre, abnormal, or off-kilter for contemporary audiences. Occasionally, these projects gel. Most times, they crash hard into the realm of obscurity. Join us as we delve into the cult classic swamp. I'm Ben. And I do not consent. I do not consent, Ben, to your fascist ideologies about who should play characters in movies. I'm just going to say it. I'm just going to rip the Band-Aid off. You're coming in here. I don't even know your opinion, but I know it's different than mine, so I'm angry about it, okay? <laughs> let's let's just start there. Yeah, well, let me, let me put it this way. I'm angry that you even have an opinion. This doesn't hey, seem like it's your said, place to have an opinion I ne- about. I never said I did. I never said I did. You don't said assume, my opinion was different than don't yours. Don't assume my opinion status, okay? <laughs> I do not consent uh, to you assuming my status based on what I just said. Okay? I don't I don't consent to you assuming what I'm assuming based on what I said. I I do not consent to hearing that last sentence you just spoke. So What do you think? Late night cinematics? I mean <laughs> I do not consent to this episode, Ben. Uh this is this is when someone comes in from the back end and goes, uh, we never needed your consent. <laughs> <laughs> you have to talk about this movie. <laughs> oh no, that you should definitely put that that in as a clip. We never needed your consent. Like I do not consent to this episode and, and then the clip from her I, we never needed your consent. We never needed your consent. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that that so had to be my movie op- about rape, right? Uh, uh, whoa, okay, here we go. Now we're getting political. Um, that right. had to be my opening quote: "The I do not consent." There's nothing else in this movie that really stood out. You know, I was just like her screaming, "I do not consent," is kind of the first time Scarlett Johansson shows any emotion in her performance. So, it, of course, it's going to stand out. But I'm just like, well, that's it. That's clearly what I have to say. You know, I do mm-hmm. not consent. <laughs> I mean, for what it's worth, I think she's not supposed to be emotional in this in this performance. Uh, okay, okay, we'll we'll get into that for sure. The Scarlett Johansson of it all, uh, because of course we're going to be um, very, very racist this episode. Um, I guess by proxy, or maybe you know, tangentially, because we're discussing a racist movie that makes us racist, right? Uh, yeah, I think I, th- I think what they call it is like giving it a platform. Oh, yes. Or so oh, yes. so okay, like, okay, so like we should they they would say. They, whoever they are, would say that we should deplatform it. I think, mm-hmm. and since we're not deplatforming it, I think we're, yeah, we're racist. I'm, right? I'm, uh, yeah, and I'm actually glad you used the word giving it a platform. I, I've actually, I didn't make the connection to that saying or you know, like statement when we were doing this, but Ben and I actually created a giant soapbox to put racism up on for this episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I, now I get it. Maybe you had that in the back of your head. We were literally and figuratively giving it a platform. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, uh, so in this, I want to propose that we just refer to it from now on as platforming since deplatforming is the other version, you know, the, and and this is all different from platformers, the genre of video game where you're jumping on different platforms, right? Or is that somehow related to this? Um, I'm I'm well, literally so, losing the thread without a physical corkboard and string. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean it kind of depends. Um, <laughs> they, there are certain situations where the two are synonymous. No, that's they are different. Rob, one of them is clearly <laughs> a video game, and unless that video game is also racist, they are unrelated. Okay, okay, I think I'm getting it. 
Um, but we'll see when the final exam happens if I fully understand it and can do it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, did I did I mansplain <laughs> racism well enough to you? Is that you racesplained racism? I oh, think. there we go. Um, yeah. So no, this is all in good fun, and I'm glad we get to make make fun of this idea because um, I figured we'd get to it because the controversy surrounding this movie is something we've talked about before. Um, of course, we're doing our remake series. We're discussing remakes of movies that we've previously covered on this podcast, and uh, this one that we're covering, Ghost in the Shell 2017 is a remake of the uh, most recent of this series that has has been discussed on this podcast. Ben, we did um, Ghost in the Shell maybe about a year ago, maybe a little under a year ago, sometime in 2022. I, I've been in the ha- I was in the house when we did Ghost in the Shell. Okay, so may oh wow, I, it's probably more recent than I'm, I'm remembering. Okay, um, and the house signing anniversary is February 22nd. Ooh, okay, uh, which is in like four days, and that was a full month before he moved in. So definitely more recent than a year, probably half a year. Okay, okay, right on. Uh, astute listeners, based on Ben's information, can find out what day we are recording right now. Uh, <laughs> sure. Um, so we actually, I went back and listened to a good bit of our discussion there because I wanted to make, I wanted to, you know, remember how much we did talk about this controversy. And we did talk about it a good bit. Um, we've actually talked about it on other episodes of Cinemodities. Um, this is the prime example. This movie and its accusations of race, uh, sorry, or, of racism, of whitewashing. Whitewashing. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something I've always used the example of where only seemingly the Twitter sphere of America feels that it's whitewashing and racist and thinks it's a bad thing. Um, when you go over to uh, Japan, you know, the, this content's uh, country of origin, the actual, you know, IP it's based on, everybody there, the audiences there, are kind of like, why is this controversial? Like, it's a Hollywood movie. It's made in America. They're going to cast American people. And also, you have a big name attached to it. That's just going to give it more notoriety. Why is that a controversial thing? Um, I've used right. this as, as uh, many times as an example of, you know, certain people being angry on behalf of others. And right. um, and we did talk about in our original Ghost in the Shell episode about the fact, about this fact, about the idea of, you know, this just being a controversy. I think, you know, now that you and I have both seen these movies, what do you say, Ben? Do you, do you, what, are you what are your thoughts? I mean, kind of, you know, leave the Twitter sphere out of it, leave all the controversy. Seeing the original, seeing this one, were you at all bothered by the casting of Scarlett Johansson in any way inherent to the character? I'm separating her performance and stuff because I have other thoughts on that. But was were you just like, oh, this doesn't fit the original at all. This is not her place. Did any of those thoughts come into your mind? Uh, well, so I, I, I guess I have to start by saying that in every anime ever, the races of people are not the most easily easy things to identify. <laughs> Except... Sure. Full Metal Alchemist, where it's very clear that they are white with blonde hair and they're based on Germans. That's like the the one exception that I can think of. But for the most part, like their characters, unless unless they are like specifically colored in, in a particular way, it's like they all have white-ish skin, and their eyes are shapes that don't make any sense. So I don't know that that you can say without without a doubt that the original creator intended for her to be any race. Okay. Uh, I think the original creator intended for her to be a robot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that being said, uh, like basically as, as a consequence of that, no, I don't think it's, I don't think it matters. Um, I think what matters is the attempt at portraying the IP 
And okay. um, there were multiple times in the movie that I was watching and I was like, holy shit, this feels quite a bit like the anime. <clears throat> Just like in, in, in terms of some of it was camera work, some of it was delivery, some of it was was actually the actress uh, ScarJo's performance. Mm-hmm. But there were times where I was like, she feels like a robot. And that felt like a weird, awkward pause we would get in an anime. <laughs> you know? Okay, um, okay, yeah. So, no, I didn't have any problems. Right on. It, it's interesting you bring up this point of, you know, determining the race of characters in anime. I That's something I've always found very interesting. I I get what you're saying by, like, you know, Full Metal Alchemist. Um, other examples you can think of are, you know... Even the famous ones, like um, I, I would say Naruto um, in particular, a lot of these characters, I don't even know if I'd go far as far to say that they're like, you know, white based or something. There's something about the art style or something inherent to the art style of anime that I'm always like, this is just a different creature. Like, yes, they are humanoid, but, you know, they don't really fit into any race that, you know, we see them as or something like that. I've always found that interesting when actual races, I think, are depicted in animes that I've seen. They're almost played as caricatures. So another one that came to mind, uh, Samurai Champloo, I think, has some pretty overt, like, samurai vibes in it, yeah. which, you know, has has a historical and cultural attachment to Japan. But even that, dude, like, the main character in Samurai Champloo, if I, if I was just to see a picture of him and guess his race, I would guess he's Mexican. Sure, sure. Like, it doesn't, I don't know, I just don't think, for, well, and that's another thing, is I don't, I don't think that anime creators make it so that all the characters are Japanese. Definitely, definitely. I would say there's oh. more uh, more like care lent to the just the qualities of a character. Like I'm thinking of a One Piece. Like One Piece has a very bombastic art style where like every character oh, yeah. has their own type of shtick that's not race based, it's just design based. It's like yeah. physically based. Yeah, like, yeah they have like course, different shaped you know. faces and like Yeah, like, yeah, like really, like yeah. body like body shape is what changes, not just skin color or you know, yeah. um you know, angular orientation of muscles, I guess this would d- determine race as well. But I think you know what I mean. <laughs> but yeah. So, no, I I I have to agree. I don't think I don't think that when people write or or animate anime, uh that they're like focused on that as a factor. And I think as a result, when other people focus on it as a factor, it probably just confuses them. Yeah, okay, okay. Like, that's that's not the original intent, and I think that that's pretty clear. And if it if it weren't, like, I think that every, anime would have been called racist a long time ago uh, because of, like, the weird big eye stuff they do. And, like, uh, if those were attached to specific races, mm-hmm. that that would get in the realm of being racist. Sure, um, sure. But... But that's never been an issue, um, even amongst the, t- the Twitter sphere, uh, the Twitterati. Um, <laughs> the Twitterati, nice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, but that's yeah. So that's never been an issue there, which makes me, which makes me think that people who watch anime don't even attach uh, races to uh, the yeah, characters yeah, in anime. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think the only people that do this were people who are looking for examples of whitewashing in Hollywood at that time which that was a big in 2017 that that was kind of a big thing yeah yeah and i and i think i'm i'm totally on board with what you're saying i we did cover that a little bit in the um original discussion i think that goes to you know what i was saying earlier about how it's it's this example of americans twitter sphere americans getting upset on behalf of you know the japanese and the japanese being like well we don't care no this is cool like our our 
properties are getting attention. And to add to that, I remember bringing up this fact that there were there was a quote from you know someone being interviewed about this thing or you know um, about this idea of whitewashing and is it you know offensive. One of the Japanese audience members said, "Well, the movie itself is about." You know, how does a person or what is sentience when it's in an organic person or a robot? You know, it's this movie's about blurring the lines of what a soul is between organic and synthetic. So what would it matter what race the character is? (laughs) (laughs) And I love that as a, a, like I said, an additional layer to the fact that nobody who is angry about this or upset about this whitewashing in air quotes on American Twitter had even thought of that. You know, I'm not saying they didn't see the movie, but if they did see the movie, they clearly didn't get it. (laughs) Sure. Um, Yeah, I well, and and that just kind of goes more to what I was saying about, like, I I don't think that the people who created this cared about the race very much. either. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Because also, I mean, like Scarlett Johansson, uh, as we'll talk more about uh, Scarlett Johansson and the guy who plays Batu, who also plays um, what Euron Greyjoy on Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. Like they're the two closest thing to white people in this. I mean, Julia Binoche is French, but she's also white. But they're, they're it's not like this whole movie is American people, you know? Like there's a lot of diversity and Asian representation in the cast of this film. Yeah, the Section Nine boss guy. He, he's he's uh, he only speaks in Japanese throughout the yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah. Which I I found a little weird because he was speaking in Japanese and they were speaking in English to him, and like they were just having conversations <laughs> that way, which I thought was strange. But... I understand what you're saying, Ben, but I'll bleep all that out because that was pretty racist. I have to say, oh, you know, <laughs> okay, awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. you did you did say the quote that could be taken out of context. You know, he spoke in in, in Japanese the whole time, which I thought was weird. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Someone will cut the uh, me probably will cut your explanation off and put that out on Twitter and that's it we're we're done we're done we all all like six of our patrons will just evaporate. Um, uh, no, I'm I'm a, I'm more like Tom McDonald man. You can't cancel me because there's nothing to cancel. Exactly. Uh. Exactly. <laughs> The thing I wanted to add to what we had previously said about this controversy in our first discussion is something I did not know when we had that first time around. I did not, I had not seen this uh, 2017 version of Ghost in the Shell when we did that first recording. I also didn't read about this in any of my research. I'm not sure why it just didn't come up, I guess, with the controversy. But um, once this movie came out, because I guess we should say all of this controversy about whitewashing – um, started before the movie was released. It started with like the promotional materials showing Scarlett Johansson as Kusanagi, kind of in this movie. Matoko Kusanagi, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but after the movie came out, the controversy continued, and maybe you know the um, the fire. Uh, they added fuel to the fire because at the end of the movie, of course, it is revealed that the brain that's in Scarlett Johansson throughout the duration of this 2017 version is the brain of Motoko Kusanagi, who was an Asian girl. So the people who were already on the bandwagon for uh, thinking this movie was whitewashing, they felt that this was some form of validation, where, like, clearly this is whitewashing. They took an Asian woman's brain and put it into a white woman's body. (laughs) And and then acknowledged that it was an Asian woman and also had her hug her mom. Exactly. And it's like, look at this white woman taking over the life of an Asian woman. (laughs) What do you cool. think about that, Ben? What do you think about that take? That that uh, like, uh, okay. So I could see, I could see why if you were already 
inclined or or predisposed to think that whitewashing was what was going on here that you would look at that and be like oh they're just throwing it in our face now that's very like much took... confirmation bias right yeah well, well sure um but you you, so you look at it and you're like oh okay so they you know they straight up are telling us like this should have been an asian which i i think is a res- I, I feel like anytime you get to a point where you're saying things like this should have been an asian you're probably not in the right just just because like i don't know i'm not that focused on race typically sure um like when in everything everywhere all at once like i wasn't upset that the main character wasn't white i wasn't upset that the main character wasn't black michelle yo she's a fucking badass and i was stoked to get to see her do martial arts and she's also like, she she's also not just an asian woman in that movie i mean she primarily is but she's also like a cartoon character in one of those edits. She's a rock <laughs> yep. for about yep. 15 minutes, you know? Yep. <laughs> like, talk about uh, representation. Rocks right. are happy. This is a banner year for rocks in theater, <laughs> you know? Got a whole got a whole dialogue scene with rocks. They never had that before. <laughs> That's definitely true. Rocks never never did get dialogue. So, so I don't know. Like, I, I just, I'm not inclined to, to think that way about, about movies. But if you are... Then yeah, so you're looking at this. It's like, oh wow, they they're even just straight up telling us like this should have been an Asian girl, but instead it was uh, this white woman. And it's like, okay, I, I guess, but I feel like if you think that you're not paying attention because Scarlett Johansson's character, like she goes and meets uh, Matoku's mom, and, and I am gonna dis- distinguish them at this point because right at this point in the movie, Scarlett Johansson isn't quite Matoku. She sure. she doesn't have her memories and stuff, but she like has like an emotional connection with her mm-hmm. because she's like, you're my mom, you know? Uh, and she, and she feels that there's something there. And then at the end, like we, we see Scarlett Johansson and her hug. Like they, that lady's happy that her kid is alive yes. in the form that she is. It yeah, doesn't uh, Scarlett um, Johansson say you don't have to come to the grave anymore right. or something yes, at the very does. end. Yeah. 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 And the, and the uh, woman's like, I know because I have my daughter, you're my daughter. Do you get it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's not that heavy handed, but it, it's it's <laughs> maybe a version, little. I don't know what version you watched. It's like a PSA. They stare directly at the camera and, and address the audience, <laughs> and they go, "This is what the movie was about." <laughs> <laughs> Get it? She's a ghost in a shell. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so no, I I think, like I said, if you're if you're already leaning that way. Yes, you're going to see that as them rubbing it in your face. You're going to take it with the confirmation bias, mm-hmm. and you're just going to—that's where you're going to be. But, but if you're watching this movie without any of that in mind, all you're going to see is a mother get her kid back. Yeah, sure. And that's that's heartwarming, right? Mm-hmm. Does it matter? It's wholesome. What? Yeah. It, yeah, it's whole. Yeah. Does it does it matter that it's a robot instead of her actual kid? If that doesn't matter, then how the fuck does it matter what color that robot is? Sure, sure. It's more it's more about the the connection which which this movie of course does not get into, which I know I want to talk about the the differences in the, the themes of this movie and the the changes oh, they yes. make. But the ending of this live a- of the 2017 live action version is very much something that works towards the themes of the original where exactly what you said, it doesn't matter like if this shell looks like this woman's daughter, it's the connection between their two souls. And that that's the the point is that the soul, you know, pervades the physical and, you know, outlives mm-hmm. the physical. Um, yes. So it's very much that ending is very much more in tune with the original, which but not in tune with this, which is the movie it's in, which makes it so weird and muddled, I think. 
I don't. I don't. You'll have to elaborate on that because I don't know that I agree. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to discuss. Sure, that. sure, sure. I do want to mention that the grave that they go to uh, see um, what Motoko Kusanagi's grave, and we have that conversation happens that we just talked about. Yeah. Have you ever seen a place like this? It's like a football arena, but each of the like the tiers of seats are grave. Like it's a graveyard built in a stadium. Like, that, did you notice that, that the graves were on like tiers? Yeah, it it definitely looks like a one of those space saving things where they yes. build up instead of out. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Have you ever um, seen anything like that? No, no, I haven't. But I've also never been to Japan, so neither. If have I was I. gonna, yes. if I was gonna see it, I expect it would be in Japan. I have never seen one of these in real life. I've never seen one of these in movies or TV shows or YouTube videos. I think this is that is probably the most interesting thing to me in this movie. <laughs> um, so, I am just like that is a great place to film like that is a great location sure. to shoot yeah, something because yeah. i was just enthralled by it but no you know it's like we don't have that kind of population density problem here yes so yeah. we don't need to make a solution to that problem because that problem isn't a problem here if it were a problem here is that a solution we might do maybe i don't i don't know <laughs> you know yeah I, yeah I, I i think it kind of makes sense to have uh great i know in some places they have like a rolling graveyard situation oh. where you don't stay in the graveyard forever. Oh, um, okay. Sure. sure. Something like that. I don't exactly know how it works. Uh, and I don't remember where it is either. So maybe I'm making it up. Uh, <laughs> okay. who, who knows? Right. But if you Google it and find out that I am, or am not making it up, you can let us know. <laughs> Cinemodities at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, by emailing us, you legally give consent. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, we never needed your consent anyway. It's perfect. So I think I think we've done like a solid like fifteen to twenty minutes on the whitewashing controversy. Was there anything else you wanted to mention about no, that's, that? Okay, okay, that's plenty. I we think we co- yeah we covered it. That's all. It's all fine. You know that type of thing. I'm glad that both Ben and I were in agreement. That's not what we had to talk about it because that's the aura surrounding this movie. But you right. said it best. It has nothing to do with the actual content of this movie. Mm-hmm. So we can go, uh, we can go, just get it out of our system. And I think starting with that is great because I, I feel like you know, fifty percent of people will just not listen to this episode because it's about something racist. Twenty seventeen's Ghost in the Shell. The other fifty percent who give us a chance will realize we are starting with talking about the controversy. And so now nobody is listening. Ben, we could do whatever we want in the rest of this episode. <laughs> I- I, I'm going to assume that those percentages are of people who would have listened to this episode to begin with, because uh, I think that 90% of people aren't going to listen to this episode because they've never heard of something. No, this is my my percentage More than 90%. break. My percentage breakdown was for every living person have, on the okay. planet. Either they will not listen to this because it's racist, or they will listen to it, realize it's racist, and turn it off before now. <laughs> oh, all right, that's it. That's Everybody. every person on the planet. Nice. It's the um, it's the coupon the movie sketch from uh, from Mr. Show where it becomes legally required that every American has to see this movie, and uh, the U.S. Attorney General calls it a required romp. <laughs> That's this episode of Cinemodities, a required romp for the population of Earth. <laughs> so now that nobody's listening, Ben, awesome. Let's get into Ghost in the Shell 2017. Uh, I great. I. Uh, I mean- I hope you have some memory of the original so we can do some comparison because we have seen it. Um, but I'm just going to say it right off the bat. I think this movie kind of sucks. <laughs> I did not enjoy oh. this movie. <laughs> okay. Well, I figured you might. Um, okay. okay. I, let me put it this way. I would not say 
that this movie is great. I'm probably wouldn't even say that this movie is good. Um, it's not that entertaining, but the story is actually more relatable than the anime story. Interesting. I I, I like you using the word relatable because I would say you are correct. I would say that this story, while more relatable, is infinitely less interesting. I, I'll give you less interesting, but from just from like the human perspective, so people who are not necessarily looking for this movie to be uh, you know the the brain deep dive that that we uh, did with the first movie. Yeah, a, a, which is like a treatise on what is existence. I would say that this movie is much more palatable and accessible to the average person. That's fair. And overall, I actually don't think it was bad. Um, I actually enjoyed parts of it quite a bit. And we'll talk about it more, but there were parts where I where I felt so connected to the anime that it was insane. Okay, uh, to, interesting. To feel that in a live-action movie. Right on, right on. There's there's a lot to unpack with what you just said for sure. I want to talk about the. You are absolutely right. I'm in, in total agreement that this is this story is more relatable and more palatable to general audiences. This was 2017. This is a remake of a Japanese you know product of an anime uh, and an IP, which was a manga beforehand, of course. Do you think saying this is more palatable to general audience translates into the studio going, we need to dumb it down for? western audiences dumb it down maybe isn't the right phrasing i think it's humanize it okay um you're you're right this story isn't really dumb i'm hung up on that it is it is something where compared to the original themes i could not care less about the themes of this one i'm like this is not interesting other people can think about it type of thing (laughs) i i don't i mean i don't even know that i can agree with that like the themes in this movie like it's still about humanity and and what it means to be in uh just a ghost in a shell um it's not about whether life can become from just ai which is what the first one is about yeah so yeah so it's not it's not maybe the thing that's more relevant to today which is actually the ai conversation Mm -hmm. um that's a good point yeah but there is still an aspect of like this movie is talking about what does it mean or, or rather, like I, they they somewhat explore the consequences of of what it would mean to lose your body but not lose your soul. Yes, yeah, and you know, and and, and the ways that that can be exploited, and the the moral questions about that, um, they they you know they do touch on. I, I wouldn't say that it's a treatise in the way the first one is. Not in any yeah, way. Definitely. Yeah. It's it's not it's not as focused on those themes as the first movie was focused on its themes. But they're not non existent and I don't think they're disinterested they're uninteresting. Okay, okay. So I, I wanna give a quick rundown of, of the big difference in the story between the original and this one. And and Ben, please fill in any blanks that I missed because I watched this a few days ago. Um I think you watched it immediately before before we recorded while you were on the drug from Crank, so you probably got it <laughs> just seared into your brain. So please fill in any of those any of those things. But the big difference it. is that in the original the villain, the villain kind of, is pup, the puppet master, who is this sentient AI being that was born out of, you know, humans creating this advanced technology. And as we talked about in that episode, it's all about, like, what defines life. Um, in our discussion, we talked a lot about the ideas of it's like, you know, how to, like, the, the limiting factor of AI and computers that could get close to sentience, all that stuff. 
this one makes the change that the villain in this one, uh, Kuze, not called the Puppet Master, Kuze and uh, Scarlett Johansson, uh, Mira uh, in this movie, the the robotic form of Motoko Kusanagi, they are just kind of a, two iterations of a series of experiments in which this scientific company, Hanka, uh, wants to basically put a brain into a robotic body. And right. it, it turns out, as the story unfolds, that these two, you know, robot, uh, or I guess cyborgs, you know, human brains and robot bodies, they start to have memories of their original selves. They, uh, Scarlett Johansson has to uncover, like, where she came from, who she was before she was turned into this robot. And it comes down to, you know, uh, what persists, the soul or the body in that sense. But, you know, do people as brains, you know, still have attachment to their human physical counterparts even though they're just this this shell of a human now anything i'm missing out i think i wanted to add to that kind of difference no but i will specify that in the original like one of the one of the key like i i guess points is that the puppet master and um motoku are very similar and that they are a robot that is acting as if it were is a human essentially. Yeah. 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 Uh, and so the question becomes, how are they different from each other? Like, is Motoku actually a person? Uh, and if so, does that mean the puppet master is also actually a person? Yeah. Etc. Et so, so in, in that sense, again, like I said, you know, th- that one is more of a treatise that it, uh, you know, that, that was your word, but that is what it is. And they, they go deep in it with that relationship. And for the remake, the uh, ScarJo one, they make it a little more human by giving us uh, kind of more of like a sob story, almost a connection between Motoku and Kuze. Yeah. Um, and it becomes uh, more about what it means to like, like rebel uh, against the people who like saved your life. And then it turns out that those people actually didn't save your life. They probably killed you. And like, I don't know. So like, there's more of like a, there's more of like a notion of rebellion in, in the remake than there is in the original. Yeah. Uh, But no, I I think, I think that's pretty much the gist of. of Yes. Yes. So, so in that little description, I, I definitely tried not to editorialize. I wanted to give it as straight as possible. Now here's me editorializing. Here's what I think. This came across to me and I'm glad you brought it up. This notion of, Oh, the connection between Kuze and Kira, they before they were put into these weird robot bodies as iterations of this experiment from the Honka company, they knew each other in real life, I, I, I guess, you know, everything's real life, you know, there's no video game world or anything, but they knew each other in the before times, before the robot times, and right. they do talk about how they were, like, homeless, right? Like, they were, like, basically, like, living wherever they could or, like, living, they, like, basically... They lived in something called the Lawless Zone. The Lawless Zone, yes, which will come up when I get to... when we get to snacks. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so they, they lived in the Lawless Zone, and it did appear that they were something like homeless. It was a, it was a collective of homeless people. Yeah, the movie, would... like, puts it forward that they were, like, what the upper class would consider, like, the dregs of the earth, you know? Like, they'd be like, oh, get them out of my city. They're lowering property rates and stuff like that, or property value. And Yeah. And so with that instantiation in this story, with the fact that, you know, Scarlett Johansson and Kuze are very much against—they they grow to become against the, uh, the, the scientific Honka company because they feel that, you know, their humanity was taken from them, which you were talking about. All of this came across to me as, like— Capitalism is bad. They're preying on the homeless for scientific experiments that, you know, 
like like this is this is as bad as you know experimenting on humans like you know that the Nazis did. This came across to me as very much like oh we have a, a social message that we want to get across. Oh, that's interesting. I I didn't take it that way at all. While I was I and like I said you know I can see I can see why you would take it that way, but no like I I I, I didn't feel like there was much focus at all put on them, um as to like where they came from or how like I think I. I felt like them being homeless people was just the explanation for why nobody was looking for them. Okay, okay. Um, like, I, it just felt like, you know, you, you have a Criminal Minds episode where somebody wants to be a serial killer, so they serial kill the homeless so that no one will notice. Sure. That kind of thing. So so I didn't I didn't feel like it, they were saying, you know, that capitalism is preying on the homeless. I, I felt like it was more like this particular company is preying on the homeless because the homeless are vulnerable. And... That's it. Like that's where it stops. Like we we don't care about the fact that the homeless are vulnerable. That's just where they get the people that this you know that because there needs to be some kind of explanation for why nobody's looking sure, for them. Sure, sure. No, I I know what you're saying, and I definitely agree with you that it is not fully fleshed out. Like I I think we're both say, we're both in agreement saying that you know this movie's not explicitly about you know like capitalism preying on the homeless. Whereas compared to something like Wendell and Wild, which specifically becomes about this family like using the for-profit prison prison system to their benefit you know yeah yeah but i think that's why it makes me angry even more with this movie is because that's the sense that i get i got from watching it that it did have this social message but it didn't have the gall to go fully into it where i'm just kind of like oh they were just doing this to check boxes and just you know like westernize it again is how i came i guess i don't i don't feel like criminal minds is trying to give me a social message whenever they tell me a serial killer is after the homeless I feel like Criminal Minds is telling me that serial killers go after easy targets. Interesting. Um, okay, interesting. Yeah, so I, I think Criminal Minds I haven't seen as, as much of, but like also say like Law and Order SVU. I I take those as them trying to have a social message. Oh, yeah. oh well, SVU does. SVU have a social is message. different. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, yeah. But Criminal Minds is not. Criminal Minds is very dispassionate, typically, uh, or at least okay. in the earlier seasons. I can't speak for the later seasons because I haven't seen them or any of the spinoffs. Uh, but it's a very dispassionate. Um, breakdown of, of the serial killer's like mental situation, and typically when it comes down to like what their the chosen uh, group of people are, like whether it be prostitutes or or homeless people, they refer to them as high risk victims, like mm-hmm. people who mm-hmm. live lives that expose them to more risk. You know, it's it's not like in the episode where gay men are being uh, victimized in SVU, and they're like, oh my god, we have to save the gays that won't come forward because they're closeted, and like that's a problem. Like, SVU has that social message. Criminal Minds doesn't. Okay, okay. Interesting. And e- even if they were like, we're having trouble getting victims to come forward, they wouldn't spend as much time on it. And they would just be like, we need to figure out a way to get victims to come forward. And it would be through, like, a press release or some shit. Sure, <laughs> sure. That's, that's yeah. how Criminal Minds operates. Okay. And But more likely in Criminal Minds, they would be more like, we need to trick this guy into making a mistake. So they wouldn't be as focused on on the victims. They're way more focused on the killer. In criminal minds. So, so anyway, that, that's what I'm what I'm getting at is like I don't feel like they're as focused on the victims in this movie as they are on the like end product. Sure. So, so what what we're saying is that you watch this like it's an episode of Criminal Minds. I watch this like it's an episode of Law and Order. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It, yeah. Okay, interesting. That whole sentence I just said should be on the DVD box for this movie. <laughs> uh, I I just I guess I I definitely took it as dispassionate. Okay. Not. You know, not passionate. I didn't. I didn't think that it was preachy or or trying to tell me 
that I needed to feel a certain way about about the homeless and the way they're treated. I just felt like it was just like this is this is part of the story. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and I I, I think I, yeah, I just had that complete different take where I was like, mm-hmm. oh, they're not going far enough with this, so it just seems to be like the easy way of doing something social. Which I guess this is a kind of I don't know if we're going to get to it a lot with the other remakes we're going to talk about, but just the idea of like in the modern era, like in the 2010s, I feel like all these, you know, remakes, revamps, reimagining of pro- of um, you know, products from like the 80s, 90s, you know, 70s, whatever, they always had to come with like this social twist. You know what I mean? I don't know if I have like another really great example of that, but I just feel like that's the that's like the the aura I get from from these things where it always has to be like, you know, like corporate evil or like foreign country bad or something like that like the tropes you know well anything to keep our attention away from hollywood (laughs) sure (laughs) i i do have a similar feeling it is also vague and without examples yeah yeah and and i'm sure that that vague without examples feeling i had going into this movie and starting to get the sense of them going for this you know oh humanity was ripped away from these in society that some might consider lower I, I guess that, you know, like I said, vague feeling was just me like, going, oh, God, okay, it's one of these movies. But now that I think of it, I don't really have any examples to otherwise compare it to or classify these movies in that context. Well, and I and I definitely try to take every movie we watch uh, from from like a vacuum. Like mm-hmm. I try to I try to look at it as the movie it is and judge it as such. And then, you know, if we have social context to get into later, I, you know, I, I try to then maybe recontextualize sure. it a little bit in that way. But when I watch it, I very much try to watch it as as fresh and as like unbiased right as on, I can. Right on. That's good. I like that, Ben. That's a good take. So you used the word dispassionate before. Uh, I, mm-hmm. I want to bring that up again in context. Scarlett Johansson in this movie. Uh, her entire performance? Her entire performance. So yeah. so whitewashing aside, because we established that it is, it is clearly whitewashing, and uh, this movie's that, canceled. <laughs> and that matters the most. Yes. That ma- yes, of course. That supersedes all. I think her performance is so muted, dispassionate, even when the moments of emotion are supposed to be coming through type of thing. I'm just not into it one bit. And yes, I will give you that you said earlier, you know, it, it's very much she is a robot type of thing. We get that, and she is very robotic in the anime, so she might be very much. I would That's imagine. what I was going to ask. Do you remember the anime? Yes. It, it, in that in that sense, yes. I feel like it is so true to the anime because it her is, character is robotic. Uh, you are absolutely right, but there, and this is a great thing I think for myself to realize. But when, while they are so similar, there is just a fundamental line I draw between them. Where in animation, I am so on board with it because I love. Kusanagi in the original movie. I love the whole original movie. If anybody you know couldn't tell or doesn't remember, but th- there's this fine line between that in animation and that in live action, where I'm just like, I'm watching just like a terrible little kid be in their like third grade play. You know, they're stale oh and they're. I just cannot get behind it. <laughs> I I think I think her dispassionate performance is stellar. Oh man, I think okay. she does a fantastic job of being dispassionate. She comes across as somebody who doesn't isn't quite human anymore let's let's talk let's start let's let's go like let's go mega scale with this first ben what do you think of scarlett johansson in general because of course everybody knows her as black widow but she's been in other things what do you Uh, usually like like her when in her performances like is a is a strong word i i don't dislike her i obviously i think she's very attractive i don't know that her performances are like standout performances most of the time 
in Don John, she does a pretty decent job at being like a different character than we see her as is like Black Widow. For yes, instance. I'm very glad you bring up Don John because that that is one mo- the the thing I remember the most of the one time you and I watched Don John is her performance and how good she is in it. In, in, oh, yeah. in it. And I, re- I will never forget that scene where Joseph Gordon-Levitt, they're at like a store, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt is like, I'm going to go check out the Swiffers. And Scarlett Johansson goes off on him and be like, we get a maid to do it. And she's at one point, she's like, he's like, I like cleaning my apartment. You know, I like using the Swiffer mop to clean my apartment. And she's like, mm-hmm. don't talk about mops in front of me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah, a really uh, good emotional moment like the first time Don John is showing humanity other than the fact that he's horny and she gets shot down by Scarlett Johansson it's a it's an actual good scene from what I remember and she's great in it no I in that so I, I guess I I have to take it back a little bit what I said she does does have a stand-up performance in that movie the you know I, I was thinking of of the the Marvel universe where she she has you know a few emotional moments with with uh, Bruce Banner and th- those really kind of come through uh, but other than that she's playing a superhero so it's like whatever I think it goes towards why I don't like her in this performance I don't like her in the Marvel movies either of the ones that I've seen of course I haven't seen her movie but I've seen all the you know Endgame and prior type of things mm. I don't buy her as an action person I just don't I don't find her believable doing the action stuff interesting I I don't know what to say to that because it sounds like a personal preference that's not. Based yeah, on I, I don't, and I also don't really have like you know any further, uh, you know, description to it or anything, or I think any further reasoning. It's just one of those things where it's like I see her and it just doesn't click with me. You know, it, it's the same thing with me with um, Tom Holland in Spider-Man and in anything oh, where I'm like I he's totally a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah, I know we talked about that a lot, but I'm always like I totally disagree. I'm like Tom, Tom Holland's Holland, a fantastic Spider-Man. I'm like Tom Holland should be like playing a fifth grader or something like he is not an adult (laughs) no tom holland is a is a fantastic spider-man i think scarlett johansson's fine as black widow and i think scarlett johansson is a is a reasonably good to you know decent to good actor and i think her i i think that if you were to talk to the directors of this movie that she was directed to play this part dispassionately i totally believe that i would definitely say it's more of the direction in this movie than on her because they're going off want? that anime, I, I, that's that's what I, you that's know what, what I want. Like, actually, you know what I want, Ben. I want the anime. <laughs> I want the well, original film. That might be what this comes down to: is that the changes that they make and the idea of turning this live action, I think, is wholly unnecessary. I don't think this movie could have gotten the attention that it would have gotten as an that it got as a live action movie as an animated movie again. That's fair. That's fair. And historically, it hasn't. So, I mean, the the fact the fact that this brought anime to the forefront and we get things that are followed i mean it's it's very similar to to the breakout movies of you know of iron man back in the day where it's like they're bringing comic books to hollywood Mm -hmm. like this this was an attempt to bring anime to hollywood and it it wasn't wholly a failure like alita uh battle angel followed it yeah i think two years later i think two years after that yeah so like it wasn't wholly a failure that that you know this attempt to bring anime into hollywood it didn't go as far obviously as marvel is the superhero comic book stuff did, but but overall it was I think it was a valiant effort and it was worth doing. I think anime is something that's worth portraying on the big screen. And don't get me wrong, I, I would watch the animated versions on on the big screen as well. I'm happy to do so anytime there's a Fathom event or something where they're where they're playing a movie that I care about. But I I don't know. I don't have any problem with the fact that they attempted to remake this as a live action movie. And as such, I think that they were incredibly faithful to the source material. 
with the exception of of the story changes they made yes. but in terms yeah. of the feeling even some of even some of the cinematography i think they were incredibly faithful to the original right on and i'm glad you bring that up and I, something i did want to mention is that there are a lot of shots that are like faithfully recreated from the anime from the 1995 film which is oh, yeah. which is great and and some of those are in the action sequences i think that because i don't really care for scarlett johansson as an action person I am not really intrigued or engaged by her action scenes, but I am totally with you that, you know, there are certain kicks and weird movements that, you know, Scarlett Johansson does in this movie in order to just recreate what we saw in that uh, original animation. And mm-hmm. I do appreciate that. And I, I can't say that, you know, that that's probably the part of this movie I really enjoy. I do love when things do that, when they adapt some form of animated media into live action and they stay very faithful to certain shots or scenes or panels. I'm thinking of like the Watchmen movie, like like Zack Snyder is there's a lot of shots and framing in that movie that are just like, oh, because this was a panel in the original graphic novel type of thing. Mm-hmm. I do like that. So, and, and that's something I did enjoy about this movie. And I'm glad you mentioned the visuals and the cinematography. Um, this movie, the, the best thing it has going for it is the visuals and the cinematography and just how insane, uh, insanely awesome, insane in a good way, this world looks that, that we are put in. Like the geisha sure. robots are all practical. Like no, no CGI when their faces like pop open and they're, like, their that inner clockwork is exposed. I am all about that. Like it's some weird just blending together. And maybe this is not woke and I'll get canceled for it. But it's like the design is taking like the Asian geisha culture, like the insides of the clockwork look like the, um, you know, Day of the Dead, like Mexican celebration stuff almost, like skull-like and things like that. It's this great blending of all these designs that really make them visually unique and fantastic to look at. So, I, yeah, I think that's they're creepy as fuck to look at. Oh, but, oh yeah, for sure. I don't know if I'd say fantastic. I think the creepy is... But I I would say this whole movie is fantastic to look at. I mean, it's visually, like, intriguing and fascinating. I mean, what, there's that one woman who's, like, uh, she's, like, the scientist or whatever, and her, like, eyes pop out of her skull to, like, do other things? Well, it's not her eyes popping out. It's the entire section of skin that is around her eyes and her eyebrows coming out as a lens. (laughs) Yes, exactly. When it comes off of her face, it looks like... Imagine if you got one of those sleep masks with eyes on it, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It looks exactly like that. But yeah. I love the idea that they introduced that in the movie because she's using it for medical – not a medical procedure, but like a, what the deep dive procedure or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, some scientific technological thing. They introduce it in that scene. But then when that doctor lady gets killed by Kuze, I believe – he like rips that part off of her, and my note is just like, "Lady got her eyes ripped off," you know. <laughs> sure, uh, I mean, and if you think about it, like that's Kuze, who was anti-technology, ripping the technology out of a human. Yeah, yeah. Like that—that's a pretty symbolic murder, and and it also is fantastic to uh, to look at. It's it, it's, yeah. it's unsettling. It's unsettling, but it, it's, it's something that like be, exactly it grips you. It makes you be like, "Whoa, that's something new. That's something new I haven't seen really." Um, mm-hmm. and, th- and that's solid, and that's the stuff that uh, keeps it going for me in this movie. And I also think, you know, as much as I said I already dislike Scarlett Johansson, the other performances I'm, I'm you know, pretty much on board with. I really like Batu in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Batu's great. He's, he's going for it. I, I think also uh, Kuze, played by Michael Pitt, um, he's, he's... Oh, his performance is great. Yeah, I, th- one of my notes is, like, in that scene where he, him and um, Kusanagi or Mira in this movie, like, first meet each other... They first go face to face, and they're like having that discussion. Kuze's going like over the top and screaming, 
and given and it's like oh and like glitching and stuttering yes, and shit the glitching yeah. and the stuttering it's, and it's all it's, ex, it's all exposition this is an exposition scene by definition you know yeah. and by oh, yeah. con- and by construction but the way that they're like Michael Pitt as Kuze knows what movie he's in and knows to play it over the top for this anime and that's one of the moments where I'm like oh I'm into this where this feels like an anime it doesn't feel exactly like the anime film of this from 1995 but I do have some glimmers here and there in this movie where I'm like oh I'm watching an anime you know like I get from Speed Racer and everything ever all at once where those movies are more like the whole thing's an anime I'm getting the moments in this movie where I'm like ah okay they're getting close to that idea, that feeling where I, mm. it sounds like you're saying you felt it more directly where I just thought they were getting like coming right up to it there. I mean, so there were scenes like there's one scene specifically where uh, Mira is on a, a motorcycle or something like she's, she's traveling and like the way it lingers on her face. I'm like, I've seen this exact shot in anime. Sure. Sure. And like, there's even uh, the, the way Batu says like when he's on the boat with her, and she's like, you're here to kill me or something like that. And he's like, he's, he says something to the effect of like, don't say that shit to me. But the way he says it, it I felt like I was reading subtitles on a subbed anime, like watching Naruto characters say things in ways that are not the way we would say them in English. Okay. Okay. Uh, Interesting. Like, I didn't ask you to come here. I never ask. Always do. They send you to bring me in. I'm just here to fish. Did you see any? You're a company man. You follow orders. So if they ordered you to kill me, stop saying shit like that. You're gonna piss me off. It very much felt to me like it's like this is the way that they would deliver the line in Japanese, and that would then be subtitled to English, and I would read it and be like, "That's an awkward English sentence." Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and like there were there were things like that, and it happened at least four times maybe five throughout the movie where I was like, just for a brief second, I felt like I was watching an anime. Fair. Yeah. I, I definitely am, am feeling you there where for like the brief second, it gives you that feeling for sure. Um, I, I can't, I can't say that I felt that with anything else like speed racer. We get some of the goofy shit, uh, you know, that, that <laughs> you should continue that by saying we get some of the goofy shit for two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, we, yeah, we get, we get a lot of, of the goofy shit. You know, we, we get things moving around in ways they couldn't move around realistically and things yeah. that you would expect to see in animated movies, but it never felt like an animated movie to me. It felt like de- decent effects for a live-action movie, whereas there were parts of this where I felt like I was watching anime. Okay, it just I had like that, like, you know, deja vu almost. I think another one is, is when ScarJo's coming out of the water. It was just like, holy shit, this is the scene from the 95 movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh sh- absolutely. I, I'm glad you bring up the boat scene because that that's where I think, once again, it, it does boil down to me being so beholden to the original film and, you know, just the difference. Me, just the differences in this movie thematically and story-wise just not sitting with me from the get-go. The boat scene is one we actually talked about a lot in our original discussion because that's a big chunk of the movie where Kusanagi and Batu are reflecting on, like, what defines sentience or what defines, like, life. Right. In And then in this movie, it really does—I know the moment you mentioned, which I've already put the clip in for, I'm sure, I, has that, you know, connection for you. Because this boat scene is so much shorter, it's just like— 
it's more of a set piece in this movie. Like, basically, they get out of, like, Scarlett Johansson gets out of the water. They say, like, two or three sentences to each other. Wide shot, scene ends. And I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I wanted so much reflection and just characters talking. Like, a great, like, a, like the, the treatise thing that I was mentioning before. Like, that's a scene in the original that makes me think, like, oh, this movie is, like, a video essay to some extent about these philosophical ideas. And then in this boat scene, it's just kind of like, it came across to me more as, oh, we need to have this in here because it was a scene in the original. We we can I, do it, so let's do it just to you, you know have that. You inclusion. think it's fan servicey and not yeah because it, not it, impactful it, and so, because it removes that thematic resonance of the original I, scene. You know, I don't rem- I don't remember uh, the impetus that led to them being in the boat in the original. Um, it's 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 basically the same from what I remember. Um, Kusanagi's swimming. And, like, she comes up. I think she, like, already had the boat, but, like, Batu's on the boat all of a sudden, and it's like, you know, oh, I came to watch you or talk to you or find you after this event type of thing. I think it's okay, pretty so much the in, same setup, yeah. In this movie, in the live-action movie, she has gone off the grid, and they don't know where she is. Yes, yes. And Batu goes to the—Batu's like, I, I know where she is. Like, Batu knows the place. So, like, that, that alone, like, the setup for this scene very much lends itself— to an exploration of the relationship between Batu and Mira. Mm-hmm. It, it, it at the very least shows that they're close. So there's a little bit of character building attached to it. And I mean, I'll, I'll give it to you. Like it, it's, it's not as, as long and philosophical or whatever as the first movie, but I, I, I think I appreciated the, the little bit of fan service that it was in terms of like the way seeing her swim up made me feel and like the way it attached me to the original, okay. to the original yeah, product. Sure. Sure. I know what you mean. And, and then from that, like, the follow up of of Batu being like, I found you, and she's like, you, they sent you to kill me, and he's like, don't fucking say that to me, like I'm not killing you, like that. That this whole scene is more about their relationship in this movie, and again, that's part of this movie being more humanized versus the original, which is which is very much more philo- philosophical. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I, it sounds like from what you're saying, I, I know last time we talked, Ben, we established that you are the head of the Paul W S Anderson fan club. Yes, uh, that's with right. a, with everything that you're saying, are are you also the uh, the utmost supporter of Rupert Sanders, the creator of this film? You're giving him all this credit. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm just I'm just giving it where it feels due. Okay, okay. I, uh, I so essentially, really, what it, what I'm coming at is like I feel like I feel like you came at it with such a hard bias. I did, and I'm not that denying I, that. Yeah, that I have to be like, okay, Rob, but that's biased. Uh, I feel like that essentially gets to be my whole my whole point in this conversation. But isn't it isn't it okay if, because the bias I went into this movie with was different from the bias I left with? Like I went, I sat down watching this movie, going, "I'm going to be upset because it's racist and whitewashing," and I left with a totally different feeling. <laughs> Doesn't that make um, it a little better? <laughs> so the the thing that I find so strange about your bias is like I feel like they were so faithful with with the portrayal of of Mira versus Mataku. And and the fact that that didn't work for you, I I just I find that so strange. I th- I think like, it comes down to uh, it was faithful in visuals, like I, but like I said in the performance, I think there is some weird fine line I have that I don't have fully understood myself yet of this difference in animation performance in animation versus performance in live action. But it really does come down to that difference in theme. I find that original movie to be so inherently and corely just dependent on that theme. To change it in any way, even to humanize it more, which is a great way to put it, Ben. I'm not denying that. Is just so 
kind and I don't really want to say fully offensive, but it's just like, oh, what like, ugh, why did this need to happen? You know? Well, what it comes down to is that not every audience is interested in that deep philosophical trek. And and that's the main thesis of our podcast, asking the question, why? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I mean, from from the standpoint that I'm looking at, it's like they wanted to make a movie that was accessible. I, yes. I think they humanized this movie just enough to do that. And then they got fucked over by the whitewashing controversy. Sure, which, sure. But no, I, I think that, you know, like, like I've, I've already said it, but I think her dispassionate performance is intentional and purposeful. Yeah, yeah. And well done. So I, I think on all these things we brought up about the differences between the differences and similarities between this and the original, we did mention in our in our discussion on the 1995 film, uh, it did come up as we brought up this this Ghost in the Shell 2017, and I called it a remake, we did briefly touch on the idea of if you take an original property that is animated and you then make a live-action version of it, can it really be considered a remake? You're not even changing the medium, but changing the story as they do. Um, uh, we talked a little bit about, like, oh, is it more of a remake or a reimagining or a reboot? Mm-hmm. We used all these R words, you know, that... Um, that that the movie industry and storytelling seems to use these days. Any any, I don't know if uh, I know you don't remember exactly what you said back in that one uh, in that first discussion. But do you kind of see this as a remake or a reimagining or what? What R word would you use? This? Uh, I see don't it as use, a reimagining. Don't use the bad R word either. Ben. <laughs> I see it as a reimagining. Yeah, I I would have to agree. This is like a, and I know we've talked about this idea before. This is like. A, a cover song that I can respect where even if I like or dislike the cover of the original song, they've taken it and tried to do something different with it. It's not just a, oh, let's just replay the same song type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, and if, yeah, and if they'd done the shot for shot remake. Exactly. Like... And that's where I'm more like, oh, this is, this is a reimagining. I think, like I said, from the thematic changes and story changes that lead to those thematic changes, it is totally a reimagining. 100%. Uh, would you say this is the thing I was having while you know watching this movie and trying to think about this more remakes as we call them so often in the movie industry and stuff like that remakes do you think that a true remake should be defined as let's take the the same thing that we're working with in the original and try to plus it like try to add to it try to expand on it or something like that like how would that that's kind of what I settled on is what I think a remake would be not like inherently changing anything about it but trying to like you know maybe give it more depth or something I I think that oftentimes a a remake um, can also go towards modernizing um, sure, sure. A story as well. But I think that something that's important for a remake is I think that there needs to be theme consistency uh, for one thing. Uh, and then there, the the major story beats need to be the same. Um, yeah, I think that you can yeah. get away with small changes. And I think that you can I, – I, I think that there are a lot of freedoms you can take in making a remake and still have it be a remake. But I think for the most part, it's like your major plot beats have to be the same. Mm-hmm. Your character relationships have to be the same. And your themes have to be the same. I think that those all – have to stick yes uh, yeah and and probably also your your setting although time period is is adjustable that's a that's a great way to put it modernizing it for sure i i would imagine the thing that comes to mind when i'm trying to think of examples of what you know we've just classified as a remake i would say that like the disney remakes are very faithful to that like the they don't change much in the disney remakes they might they change small things but 
what I what I'm getting at is, you know, I'm imagining when the uh, Little Mermaid live action version comes out, it's not like Ariel isn't going to lose her voice to Ursula. Like that's still right. going to happen. That's still going to be like the plot of the movie, which which I think will make it a true remake in what we're saying, where a reimagining is like, oh, let's let's take this setting, these characters, let's mix it up and get some new ideas from it. Right, and I I think like. You know the the live act live action in air quotes Lion King movie they did since nothing about that movie was live action. Yeah, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, uh, and like and I know in in that uh, in that remake they did like add some characters. To, I think they they made like a boss hyena that was in charge okay. of the hyenas, and that they didn't maybe they didn't work directly for Scar or something like that. But but a lot of the plot beats are the same. A lot of the scenes are even the same. Yes. Uh, and, and the overall theme stays the same. So that, that movie I'm still comfortable calling a remake yeah. because they didn't change enough for me to, to feel like it's a reimagining. Whereas here, um, they, they changed a major theme uh, of this and they changed pretty significantly. They changed the plot maybe through changing the theme or vice versa yeah, yeah. Or, or both. So yeah, I, I think that, I think that, you know, your typical remake just isn't, is is I almost always think of it as like they're just using better cameras to make the same movie. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that's a good way to think about it. I'm even now thinking of something we did recently. Um, comparing uh the Jason Statham mechanic to the Charles Bronson mechanic. That's definitely a modernization. Um, mm. there's a lot of the same ideas. I from if you remember from what I told you about that story, they just change like some of the um some of the connective tissue. The plot is the same of like. Master Hitman takes a apprentice under his wing type of thing because he killed his father. Mm. Like, all that's still there. They changed, like, minor details. I guess that would be then a remake because it's just modernizing it. They didn't really reimagine anything. So it's like a—I would say that's more of a remake. I know you didn't see the 1972 version, but— Okay, what about what about Death Race? Ooh, that—oh, God. So Death Race ha- is pretty different. Yes. From what you described. I would say like, that's also doing... a, a reimagining for sure. Yeah. But yeah. now that as as we talk about these and as I'm sure we're going to talk about as we continue with these these remakes slash whatever we're calling them, this is there's like a spectrum to this thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, I definitely feel like from what you described and I didn't watch it, Death Race is closer to a remake than Ghost in the Shell is. Definitely. But they're both still on the on the reimagining side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where Machanic yeah. is is closer to a remake than the two of them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Where the Lion King, I, I think the Lion King, you know, uh, what twenty nineteen? It's, it's bumping was? up right against remake. Exactly. So that's like it, one of the ends of the spectrum. Yeah. So so is uh the the live action Aladdin movie and stuff like they they were very faithful to those to the original core source yeah. content. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, that's in, it's interesting for sure. But yeah, this is on the the other far end of what we've talked about so far of a reimagining for sure. And, you know, and I would say like, as far as reimaginings go, ghost in the shell is definitely not the extreme end of the spectrum, but it is further over there than, than, uh, than death race for sure. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Again, just going from what you told me about death race, I still haven't seen the original. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. but so for, for, you know, to add the, the cherry on top of this conversation, if you will, it seems, it seems like thematically, the two Death Race movies are closer to each other than the two Ghost in the Shell movies. Absolutely. And I think that's like the big difference. Why why one is further along the spectrum than the other in terms of reimagining versus Do you think remake. this should be like a um like a coordinate plane spectrum where one like the X axis is uh remake in terms of like visuals and the Y axis is remake in terms of themes? 
uh well in that case all of the the disney live action movies all of the live action movies would have to be like at the far end of the reimagining in in terms of visuals right uh, ooh, or, yeah, i mean i don't well, know i guess i guess not because like you can are are we are we gonna say that they're that it's remade visuals if they if they did a live action version of an animated scene but they did it very faithfully what would we need to we would just need two scores to graph these points right you know so we yeah, can score yeah, yeah. score the visuals score in the um uh themes and uh mm-hmm. yeah so yeah so i think you're right the visuals with the disney's would be so different but the themes would be so similar it would be some weird middle the point they, they'd be hanging out on the on the upper end of the y-axis but yeah. they'd be near, very near the uh, or or no i guess they'd be on the left side of the spectrum if we're doing remakes on the on the negatives yeah yeah reimaginings on the in the positives i i think uh and i think typically uh what what we would call a reboot would would be classified as a reimagining sure sure specifically because reboots often change the relationships between characters which i said was an important part yep, of yep remake versus remake and then i feel like we are we have in this analysis we'd have to include the idea of soft reboots which is you know the old characters passing the torch to the new characters but it's the same fucking movie (laughs) (laughs) um so well or 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 soft reboots like like evil dead where it's not a new character (laughs) not a new actor but he changed is what happened in the prequel and basically remakes the same movie. Oh yeah, no, this is, is actually this is actually great because with that in a very similar vein, we can put Lockstock, etc., and Snatch, a- oh. in as remakes of each other in some so weird. We're way. saying Snatch <laughs> is a reimagining of of Lockstock. I think we're saying Snatch is a reimag a reimagining of Lockstock, but Lockstock is a remake of Snatch. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this has, of course, gotten way too complicated for us to just you know just think about quickly and visualize in our brains. So I think what better time, Ben, to say everybody go and spend money on our Patreon so we can get money to to research this more thoroughly <laughs> and make uh, multidimensional yeah. graphs regarding this, this rating system uh, we've come up with. Yeah, if anybody joins at like the $200 tier, we will put a visual of a graph <laughs> on, on the Patreon. <laughs> if that's not incentive, I don't know what is. <laughs> Ben's like, we'll make a graph. (laughs) You can look at a graph. Uh, We would would be able to make a graph, yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, right on. I did want to bring that up because I know we, like I said, we hit hit that in our original discussion. Um, And I'm glad you brought it up because I'm sure that last time I wasn't thinking, like I wouldn't have gone as far as to say themes and relationships. Yeah, yeah. The the relationship aspect of it is actually fairly important i think and i and i don't know that i would have thought to add that last time so. sure sure yep i think speaking of you know remake slash reimagining slash uh whatever we're calling them modernizations anything like that um i, I did want to mention so i mentioned it earlier um who ben is a huge fan of as we know rupert sanders the director of this movie he actually does not have a lot of movies um this is his second ever he has oh, one wow. yeah the one before this is uh, 2012 Snow White and the Huntsman, certainly a reimagining oh. of Snow White. I've never seen that movie, but I I know it's supposed to be like grittier and not like the uh, 50s yeah. Snow White. You know, <laughs> it, it it is. It's not great. Um, but that this seems like a this seems like this would have been a fairly expensive project to to just give to somebody who's only made one movie professionally oh before. yes and uh, both of these movies were very expensive uh, i don't have the budget for snow white and the huntsman written down but i know it was expensive but um ghost in the shell 2017 was a 110 million dollar budget Ooh. like that is big what um, what did it pull in in the theaters 170 million 
Okay. So it probably after marketing costs, the studio probably lost money, um, which is which is good because then they don't have to pay residuals to anybody because it's losing money. You know, so (laughs) they're all very happy about that. I'm sure. Um, But I'm with (laughs) you. Is that it's kind of like yeah, this is if they've only made one other movie, why give it to this guy? Um, He's done a lot of like. Not even like very little TV, very little music videos. He seemed to be, from my research, more of a um, a commercial director. But not only would he like direct like the actual commercials that people would end up seeing, he ran like he would be like producers on like or for commercial companies, like companies that are hired to produce commercials. You know, um, mm-hmm. he would like oversee. He would be an executive at those companies. Um, so then they give him these movies. Maybe he wanted to direct and he knew the right people. I don't really know that whole story. But the thing is, is that Snow White and the Huntsman and Ghost in the Shell are both very much in this vein that we were talking about. Remakes, reimaginings, adaptations, modernizations, that type of thing. Um, he is reportedly attached to make the upcoming version of The Crow, which is once again going to be a remake slash reimagining slash something because The Crow <laughs> is an existing IP. So maybe this guy that Hollywood or... Maybe not all of Hollywood, but whoever is in his corner is just like he's the guy. If we want to, you know, make a reboot of something, we give it right. to him. I guess. Yeah, if you if you want to do something that's not original, he's he's your man. <laughs> he's your man. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I don't. That's interesting. I don't know how you get locked up with that shtick. I don't know if that's uh, if that's what he wants to be doing. Uh, like maybe that maybe he's all like I only ever do remakes of properties. I don't do anything else. It it reminds me if I'm making me... original content, it's gonna sell something. <laughs> I like you know, that. I... Yeah, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I will only direct things there have already been commercials for in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Just go watch those. You know. <laughs> there you go. I can imagine him being like, well, okay, we need a trailer for uh, Ghost in the Shell 2017. Like, can you give us footage from the movie to cut the trailer for? And Rupert Sanders is just like, hey, there's a trailer for the 95 movie. I saw it on Amazon last night. Just pull that one. You know, <laughs> I'm not doing anything else with commercials. He just gives them the 95 movie and is like, here's some footage. <laughs> you make right. your own commercials. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> um, it it does remind me though this idea of him just making these um, reboots, remakes, adaptations, whatever. That that's what eventually does not only not as extreme, and also there's more movies in the filmography. That's what Guy Ritchie does. Sherlock Holmes is adapted. Man from yeah. Uncle is based on a TV show. Uh, King Arthur is of course based on pre-existing IP and a bunch of different takes on that story. Aladdin, he a Guy Ritchie does. You know the live action Aladdin, so that falls in the Disney. Uh, camp that we I were feel discussing. like I'm sure I knew this, but <laughs> I, every time I hear it, it feels like new information. I'm glad you say that because Ben, I'm very certain. Like a month ago, you said the exact same thing on recording <laughs> <laughs> in our snatch episode or something. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm. There's no way that we've gotten this far talking about Guy Ritchie, and you haven't told me. And this, I am sure. I... Two years ago or whatever it was, you said the same thing on our Wrath of Man episode. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's every time it's going to be new information for me. Um, but it does. It makes me think of because Guy Ritchie falls into that. He's just doing these remakes and stuff, you know. And, yeah. and, I, and that's a thing that we posited, but we don't have any. I've never found any definitive information. Maybe Guy Ritchie and possibly Rupert Sanders. They're just like, 
that's cool. I love to take these stories and put my twist on them. And that's well, I take that's a, get, put my twist on them, bring them back yeah, to life. Yeah, like, that's a fine of, artistic yeah. motivation. I have no problem with that. It just turns out sure. that those are not the movies I like from these people. Well, Rupert Sanders, yeah. I've never seen any of his other movies. The other one, uh, Snow White and the Huntsman. But like Guy I, Ritchie, I, I did see it. It's not good. Okay, I prefer the Guy Ritchie non edit. I like when Guy Ritchie does his own thing, as we've talked about, of course. Thing. Yeah. Well, and you also have to take into account that original content is always more taxing. Sure, uh, sure. So it, you know, whether whether that is a concern that that played into it for these people or not, um, it, you know, if it, it it could be, and uh, you, sh- it's it's. I, I'm just getting. Like, I guess it's like it's it's probably easier to to oh, yeah, do something yeah. that already has rules. Yes, exactly, um, exactly. And that's you know, it kind kind of like writing for Batman. It's like. To some degree, it could be difficult because there are rules to follow, but to some degree, it's going to be easier because there are rules to follow. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, like, you can't break out of those rules, like, but at the same time, you know, you know, you get to have a bit where he's like, we don't kill people, Robin. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 fascinating this this remake thing we live in. But that's kind of what we're talking about with this this series, you know, is is this idea. I want to keep uh oh, actually let's let's do this first. It was just a quick thing I found which was interesting. Um this was 2017, so not really that long ago. This is definitely a more recent movie. Um I did find in my research that apparently uh in early talks for the lead role of Mira before it was went to Scarlett Johansson, uh Margot Robbie but she turned it down to play Harley Quinn instead in Suicide Squad. I don't know if I would say that's any better or worse. Uh, Margot Robbie's fine. I, I don't really. I haven't seen like a ton of her stuff. I think she's fine though. In like you know, I've seen her she, in Wolf of Wall Street and uh, the Quentin Tarantino Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But that's really it. She she does all right as Harley Quinn. Yeah, she's I mean, bad, she's not a bad Harley Quinn. I think she's she's over the top and very you know energetic and animated in that movie. But that's kind of the point of those movies, you know. Well, and that's also the that's also how Harley Quinn is. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, she's uh, when are they going to put Margot Robbie in the um the black and red? circus or carnival outfit you know like her from oh, the batman from the animated original? series yeah. Oh, from the, yeah from the batman yeah. animated i want to see margot robbie dressed up in that <laughs> i we're never going to get that because it covers too much skin i you read my mind as to why you probably read hollywood's mind as to what the answer is right there yeah <laughs> they're um, like yeah we need the cutoff jean shorts and the um the the uh, belly shirt right that says daddy's yeah. little monster or whatever <laughs> yeah some yeah um, I, I would have been interesting to see how Mar- Margot Robbie's career, you know, goes uh, if she was in this movie, but of course goes to Scarlett Johansson. It, I mean, it wouldn't have changed the whitewashing thing um, at all. Uh, no, I, I'm curious, like, Suicide Squad was not well received. No, no, definitely sure. not. It, it did win an Oscar, though, for uh, makeup. <laughs> I'm curious how it compares to Ghost in the Shell via, uh, vis-a-vis performance. Like, mm, mm-hmm. is this... Would this have been better for her if if she had done the anime instead of the Harley Quinn uh, as I I have to think no because if there's one even though like you said the Suicide Squad movie was not well received and that movie has its own slew of behind the scenes issues that went along with it the hmm. thing that sticks from that movie is not Will Smith as the lead it's not Jared Leto's the Joker everybody thinks of Margot Robbie as Harley it's Quinn Harley now. Quinn. So I would say yeah. that's better for her career in the long run that she is now like and 
I'm not saying it's good. It hasn't gone as far as where she's like typecast and she has to play that role and she's boxed into it. But I think it's right. good for a movie star to be like, oh, that's their definitive character, at least when they're coming up type of thing. Give her sure. 20 more years and eventually be like, then she might turn into like Keanu Reeves where it's just based on the age of the person you talk to, they'll know him as a different iconic character, you know? Right. Um, but right. while she's starting up, it's good for her to be like, oh, it's like everybody's like, oh, yeah, I know her because she is Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you're probably right. I, I overall for her career, it will be better. Plus, like those properties, they got additional movies. Yeah. So that, yeah. whereas this was was never going to. I don't think it was ever intended to get additional movies. Definitely not. Yeah. yeah. So it, I think it makes sense for her to take to take the role that could lead to more roles. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely. D- directly as opposed to indirectly. Definitely. Uh, were there any other moments or things you wanted to highlight from this as I go through my notes of Ghost in the Shell 2017? Anything else that stuck out to you or, you know, you wanted to, to highlight, mention? So we kind of already talked about it, that some of her, like, movements were strange and oh, that yeah. some of that was to recreate things from the anime. I definitely there at, at first it was like, it kind of, I was like, why is her movement so weird? Sure. And and then I, after I thought about it, I was like, oh, she's a, she's a robot. Like, she's not going to move like a human. And I, I pretty much got over it. And it, it, from, from that point forward, it was like, oh, OK, so we're just like we're watching this person who is trying to figure out how to be a person again, despite the fact that they are a robot and don't remember being a person. Very sure, well. sure. Is, is the are the movements you're thinking of kind of throughout the whole movie more in the action scenes, more, more in the, the action? More scenes. in the. OK, yeah, yeah. I, I That's definitely where I picked up on it as well. Um, you know, very much like you said, in, in service to the anime um, and the visuals of the anime and stuff like that. The action wasn't too engaging for me. No. I, I, not, yeah, yeah, I was not blown away by it. And I especially was very much tired of the action by the point when invisible Scarlett Johansson is beating up, like, the hacked garbage, drive, garbage truck driver or whatever, you know, in that, like, water area. I did but not like the invisible fight scene at all. Uh, that scene is also homage to the 95 movie, isn't it? Yes, yes, because there's a lot of the... Um, the thermoptic camouflage, as it's called in the original, yeah. and um, and it, they do it here as well, of course, because it's it's such a big part of her her crime fighting abilities. Um, yeah. But once again, I think it's that that fine line that I'm finding that I just I in anime animation, it's fine. In this, I'm just like, I don't know. There's something about the way I've come to like the visual language or the movie language I've learned to watch movies with is just different from animated to live action. And I think just carrying over so much of that animated style to live action, it just doesn't gel with me. Interesting. I, I wonder if that differs for me uh, because I watch so many animated properties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I watch a lot of animated movies, um, but I I don't know. I I didn't. I wouldn't say that I that I like thought it was bad or anything, but it, I. It was. I agree that it wasn't engaging. Like I I, I didn't. I was never like on the edge of my seat about any of the action or anything like that. It was it was always just like okay, so we're watching her like murder some people or sure, sure. or we're watching Batu murder some people or whatever. And I think I was more engaged by by the the Kuze any any scene that had Kuze in it. Yeah, yeah. Just because of like his glitchy performance, I thought was pretty neat. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, like we mentioned earlier, but yeah, to highlight that again, it is it is something where it's like. This is very much a choice, you know, from the effects, from his performance, and it is a choice that makes sense. And he knows what movie he's in. He's going over the top, making it more anime style, and that's good for this movie. Right. And I I think that it's also a good um, juxtaposition between his character, who knows that he's not uh, 
that they were lying to him and they stopped taking memory suppressing drugs. Yeah. Versus her character who doesn't know she's being lied to and is still taking memory suppressing drugs. So her humanity is suppressed while his is not. His is um, maybe even more animated because of the, the body he's in. So I don't know. That That's uh, – I, I guess that kind of was something else I felt about the the theme of this movie is that there was a certain amount of would you behave a certain way if you knew that reality was different than you believed? Sure. Like, I I can't, I don't know that I can quite articulate it well, but there was a scene where he's like telling her, like, you should be doing this basically. And her, like from her character, like for just a moment, I had this thought, I was like, but I know that's not the reality that I live in. And then there was this follow-up thought of like, but I don't know if the reality I live in is actually real. Sure. And so, so like, I, I think that part of the, the theme of this movie or, or one of the, the maybe sub themes or whatever you want to call it, something that, that they kind of touched on was whenever you're confronted with somebody who's telling you your reality is wrong. How do you, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you yeah. cope with okay. Okay. the, the idea that, that your perception is not reliable? And and that's in in this particular movie, like they don't spend a ton of time on it, but she coped with it by disappearing. Yes, um, yes. And she coped with it by going down into the water where it was quiet. And she said it felt real. Like she she that's that's what Batu asked her why she does it. And yes. she says it, it feels real. And so like she tried to, to ground herself by by doing that, connecting to something that that is inarguably real. And so anyway, so like you know, I, I guess what I'm getting at is I didn't think it was like devoid of, of theme and meaning, even though it wasn't the same density as as the original. I know, no, I know what you mean. I think that maybe not even in comparison to the original, just in general, it, this movie, like like I think you you stated and you, and you would agree with that. It doesn't. It has these ideas. It does not like go deep into them flesh them out and like i said it doesn't need to be as dense as the original but since they're so almost superficially touched on it comes across to me as like they it's not as meaningful because they could have gone farther with it and made it a topic but instead it was just like oh here it is this is a thing and it's it, like but, once again then, check, checking now, boxes now but now you're brushing up against do we hold your hand and tell you the theme or do we show you a story where things are relevant yeah okay sure so I I mean I I just I don't think that there's a way to win that. Like they can yeah. either okay. they can either go deeper into that and be like, "Oh, well it's like, you know, they're they're trying to talk to a stupid audience or they or they can not go too deep into it and just be like, "Oh, it's there if you want to read into it, you can." I I just I feel like the that target is such a a it's a moving target for one, but I think yeah. it's so difficult to hit accurately that I don't know. I I I guess I appreciate multiple approaches to it and and this is the one approach where it's like okay they're not going to beat my head beat me over the head with philosophy but they did give me uh, a situation and characters that if i were to think about them and their relationships to each other i can come up with with some some pretty interesting ideas i definitely like that take uh, i think it is tainted though by the fact that you are a rupert sanders apologist and a paul ws anderson apologist <laughs> um but no i actually really do like that take ben and that that is a, an interesting way to put it uh, I guess the, the the you know not to harp on it again is just the best way I can say it is that it it definitely did not come across to me that way. Well, you, which is I feel like, like you said you the wanted a exactly, more philosophical exactly. treatise, and I I just went into it wanting to watch a movie uh, and knowing that I only had like eight hours to do it. 
Um, and and so, you know, I went in and I was like, oh, OK, I'm watching a movie. And then, you know, I, I because of the humanization of the story, I actually had more feelings about this movie than I did a, gotcha. about the original. And then uh, upon speculation of it now, it's like, OK, there are these things here. And I can get into them if I if I want, but the yeah. movie's not going to make me, and it's not going to. It's also not going to like try to make me feel bad about not doing it if I don't want to. Like it's just going to be a movie that I could watch, and then I can get out of it more if I want and less if I want. It's a lot like going to college. It's it's uh, that's I like that analogy. <laughs> it, I was about to say before before you said that analogy, I was about to say it's like you see this movie as like like the kid who's just kind of like you know. You can hang out with me or not, whatever. And you're like, wow, that's kind of cool how much he doesn't, like, you know, care about it. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. Like, care or don't care. Like, what's this nonchalant attitude, you know? <laughs> I want the movie to either, like, I want the movie to be like, this is what you should think. And I'll be like, I can push back or agree with it, you know? And this movie's kind of like, I don't know, here's some stuff. You want to think about it? You don't have to. Here's an action I, scene. Oh, and man, I'm, like, I'm, I'm And I'm like, so don't be against... so blasé. <laughs> I'm so against being told what to think. I, I experienced it so much uh, in grad school with uh, with some people who whose names we won't mention. There was so, so much of that idea of, like, you have to think this, you have to think that. Whereas I'm like, just fucking tell me the reality and I'll tell you what I think. Or I'll figure <laughs> out what I think. Yeah, this movie for you is like the cool teacher who's like, here's some homework. You can do it or you don't have to do it. It's up to you. Tomorrow we're going to well, watch Borat in class, you know? <laughs> no, I, it's the cool teacher that says you can do this homework or you can not do it. If you don't do it, you'll probably fail the test. Okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> We've gotten into a lot of weird analogies. <laughs> it's like, but but yeah, I think I think you know what I'm saying. It's like oh, you don't, yeah, yeah. You, if you don't have to engage with it, but it, you can, and it, there is something there to engage with. In, interesting, yeah. It, I I definitely did not expect you to have this take on it, but I'm glad you do because it is it is fascinating. Um, it it and you've probably. Once we got past all the whitewashing talk in the first 20 minutes, uh, we've probably th- thematically analyzed this movie more than most people, right? <laughs> uh, almost certainly. Yeah, because they can't, can't get past that. the whitewashing stuff, absolutely. Right. You, you spoke, we've spoken a lot about humanization. I did want to ask you, what do you think about the humanization of the city skyline in this movie? What do you think about gigantic <laughs> about there being giant human holograms <laughs> and human heads to advertise things? I would assume they're advertising things. I, From so what we see, I, they're just doing mundane tasks. Like, I think there's a giant person like sweeping or something at one point. I think I think at one point we see someone like dancing or something. Yeah, d- there's definitely like mundane things where I'm like, what purpose does this serve? You have to be in a plane or a helicopter to see these things. Uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's like a tourist attraction where you just like walk around and look up the whole time, like <laughs> if you're in New York. Uh, I, the the mainly the thoughts I had about them were like, I saw them in the background. And I was like, that's weird. Yeah. And then I thought, and then I was like, why is that there? And then I thought, that's an advertisement. <laughs> and then I thought, I fucking hate advertisements. And um. <laughs> that's pretty much as far as I got to it. It's like, I don't, I'm sure you know this about me. I hate, I just don't like being advertised to. Don't well, tell I, me to spend money. I don't think you have to beat around the bush. You were watching this movie and you, you audibly like spoke out loud when you had these thoughts and said, what are those in the background? Those are advertisements. I don't like ads. I choose not to engage with that aspect of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did very much so say that out loud. No, but I mean it's pretty much it's pretty much like the same type of mentality as as I have about uh, the reason I'm okay with such a blasé approach to the theme is that I 
I don't ever want people to tell me what I should be doing. Sure. I'm sure. I'm rebellious in that way. And advertisements are inherently telling you what oh, you yeah, should be doing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so whether it's a person or an advertisement, I'm just like, how about I do whatever the fuck I want? Um, you know, like whenever I'm whenever I'm uh re- reading a recipe and it's like mixed together in a small bowl. I'm like, how about I mix together <laughs> in whatever fucking size bowl I I grab? <laughs> I'm gonna use a plate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean Mix together in a small or bigger bowl. Like, mix... I'll just mix this shit together fucking however I please. Oh, my right? God. Leave we should on. 100% start writing recipes and add things like... Like, mix, like, and then list ingredients. Like, mix X, Y, and Z in a small bowl. Like, period. End of sentence. Next sentence. Must be a small bowl. <laughs> add, like, dimensions or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. If, if the bowl is not at least this small... Bowl cannot hold more than two and a half cups, you know, or something like but that. But must hold at least <laughs> two and what? Four tenths. I I, I, I would now that there's a great like sketch comedy bit in there somewhere of like someone reading a recipe and it's like, you know, the camera the snap not snap zooms up, like zooms into like the recipe card or whatever, and it's like like one, like bullet point number one. Like, mix XYZ in small bowl. Like, person goes and does it. Like, number two looks back. Must be small bowl. Person's like, "Uh uh-oh. I think I used a medium bowl. But uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Step three. If you messed up the first steps, you are screwed. You know? Like, like, (laughs) you actually caused the end of the world. Will not come out. Yeah. Something like that. Like, just make it absurd. There's something great in there. It will grow to the size of the container you give it. (laughs) (laughs) This recipe is like a... uh, like like a goldfish, <laughs> um, or a yeah. snake. I think snakes are also yeah. Like step three, if if small bowl was not used, immediately contact animal control or something <laughs> like that. You know? You're gonna need them. Like here is the uh, number for the CDC. <laughs> uh, before before we break uh, away from recipes, I I do want to say I, I want to ask you if you remember this because I think I did it while you were here and maybe. You know, maybe you can tell me if, if I'm wrong about okay. that. But there was a point when I was when I was writing recipes on my whiteboard in my apartment. So I would write the ingredients down uh, and then I would go in and find out like, OK, so they want me in the first step to mix these six ingredients in a bowl. I would bracket those ingredients. Oh, uh, sure. And then and then name them a, a group name. So like a and then whenever I was writing the recipe down, I would be like mix a together. In yeah. A small yeah. I remember this. Yeah. Yeah, I I to this day I don't know why all recipes aren't written this way. Uh, that's too. That's that's. Uh, I don't. I mean, you know what most people say. Uh, they they say that I, I understood math class until they introduced letters. Oh my god! I get think the fuck that, away I think from that me. you know people. They say I understood I, cooking until they introduced grouping. I, I understood people until they introduced names. <laughs> right. Get the fuck away from me. <laughs> Uh, I I think that's uh, uh no, Ben. You got to be woke about this, okay? You can't shame these people. It's hard. Letters are hard. And then combine them with numbers. Those are different things. You don't combine those. Like you telling me you can add a one and an X. You can't do that, okay? <laughs> you can't. <laughs> I, I I'm uh, I'm tickled by, and I wish I had thought of it sooner. The I di- I didn't understand, or I understood people until they introduced <laughs> names. names. Yeah. I that's. That's hilarious and apt. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, email us, cinemasgmail.com. What is one plus X? You can't do it. You cannot do it. Okay. 
yeah yeah i mean i guess email us about whether you think you can do that or not it, it also i know i've told you this before but it makes me think of the time that um there was it was when I, in my undergrad when i was like became a student tutor it was like that week before classes or whatever before tutoring started where they like the orientation for the tutors you know like the basic bullshit mm. making it seem more instead of like an on-campus job just talking to your peers of like a real job whatever the fuck there was some dude who like came and talked to us for, it was purposeful like he was related to the center that did the tutoring or something or he was like some administrator from the school and he told this story where he was like he's like i'm not a math person for whatever reason it came up but it, i think it was in, in the essence of like you're going to tutor students that are not math people, so you have to change the way you talk to them from like if you are a math person, which is it's fine. That's fine advice. That's something everybody, every teacher should think about. Like how do you change Absolutely. how you discuss to reach your audience? You know. But in his telling of this story, he was like, he basically said that he just when he learned about him in high school or whatever, he just rejected the idea of imaginary numbers, yeah. and and he even went to, as far to say the thing that most people say. He's like, they're imaginary. They're not real. Like why do I care about them? You know. And he went so far as the part of the thing that I remember verbatim is him saying, I've told this story to other people, and there's always some, like, math person in the group that says, well, imaginary numbers are actually – aren't really that complicated and would try to explain them to me, and I would just be like, no, I don't want to hear about them. And I remember sitting in that, in that like, talk, in that meeting or whatever, and being like, this man is legitimately just saying he's an idiot to me. <laughs> like, he is – verbatim implicitly stating i'm just an idiot he's like i refuse to learn this and i'm like why would you say that to anybody in your in your life I, you know i i think i would have looked at him and been like i, I doubt you understand gravity can you fly <laughs> right yeah it's that same vein of like it's it, it's such a weird thing to say you know <laughs> like imaginary okay so i don't need to sell you on imaginary numbers no i i need to but, be sold they're not real they, but they but don't if you don't <laughs> if you don't take into account imaginary numbers in in uh, electrical engineering, people die. Tell me, Ben. Tell me, because you clearly could not tell me what one plus x was before. You're going to tell yeah. me that one plus i equals something? You can't. You Ben, you're yeah. full of shit. You're full of shit over here. <laughs> I mean, it's basically just forty five degrees. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's you're that's way too complicated. Telling me that the imaginary numbers just the two dimensional extension of the real numbers. You've you've you, you, no, I ref, I I do not consent to learning about imaginary numbers I, from you. I never needed your consent, Rob. <laughs> uh, what did this have to do with life and humanity? What were we saying? <laughs> well, we were talking about understanding people until names got involved. Okay, perfect, perfect. Or, or I, I guess maybe a more apt. For, for the recipe thing would have been like until families got involved. Yeah, until they introduced families, the idea of a absolutely. family. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'm with you. I, I don't understand under... people as individuals. Well, we also do know why rep- recipes aren't written that way because the the accepted format for recipes is a uh, six page essay about how that recipe relates to your family life and uh, has some important meaning for you, and then a terribly written recipe actually at the end. <laughs> yes. Seven pages for what could have taken, uh, I don't know, half a page. Have you ever read any of them? Or do you always no. scroll to the... Re- yeah, no, I, 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 I've, I've thought about that before. I never read them. <laughs> I, the, the most I read is whenever I read a sentence to figure out if I'm at the recipe yet. Sure. And, sure. and then I'll, they'll be like, my dog. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> it's always so weird when, I, when I, I just, you know, will scroll through to get to the recipe at the bottom. And, you know, I'll think I'm getting the recipe and I'll get to like a middle of a paragraph where I'm like, oh, is this something useful? And it'll be like, I'm really upset that the 2017 ghost in the shell. 
<laughs> did not relate the themes of the original. Anyway, here's my manicotti recipe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was also really upset by how racist this recipe is. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but if you can't find an Italian cheese, you can use a Spanish one. Uh, no, that's that's very not woke of you, Ben. Okay, um, uh, so uh, there's another line in this movie I wanted to mention. It, it's not so much that this line I don't really have a too much of an issue with it in context of the movie. I don't remember exactly if it's from the original. I didn't look that up because I'm just now thinking of it. Um, but I wanted to just like parse through the idea of this line with you because I found it fascinating. Like just in general, um, one of the doctors says to Mira at the beginning when um, she's having like the hallucinations and seeing her past memories, as we learn, um, they yeah. refer to them as glitches. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the doctor at one point says the glitches have a different texture than the rest of your code. Oh, absolutely. What a yeah. what an interesting line of dialogue <laughs> no i i yeah when she said that i was like whoever wrote that doesn't understand what code Ab- absolutely is. that's the thing i wanted to get at with you because it it definitely comes across to me like i said in context of the movie i'm kind of like this is some futuristic fi- sci-fi shit you know in right. context like she, it's fine like I'm, she's I'm, touching the code exactly. or something yeah, like, i don't know yeah. if you ever seen like the final fantasy spirits within movie but like the way they do medical procedures is like with a lot of you know oh there's a hologram and your hands can like move it like like it does the Minority Report slash Marvel movie Tony Stark stuff of just there's like screens you can move around with your hand and shit like okay, that, you sure. know, um, yeah. that's how it gave me this feel of like the, your, the glitches have different texture from the rest of your code. I'm imagining she's physically interacting with code in some way, you know, right. that's just a common sci fi idea. But yes, you're right. This line is clearly from someone who did not understand like what the state of coding is in the real world. But that is it's so just on the line of pretentious and poetic that I feel like you and I could use that in a meeting and people would be like, oh man, this guy's, this guy's pretty smart. You know, you could convince some people if you're saying, you know, this guy has a vision. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Where you're in a meeting and you say, and you're like, you know, uh, someone's asking you some question. Like I'm thinking of research meetings and they'd be like, you know, oh, can we do that? And be like, these two pieces of code have different texture, but I think there might be a way to make them compatible and be like, oh, oh, wow, okay, you know, let's go out to lunch with this person. Like, that's a, that's a very, <laughs> like, basic corporate office thing that could be said oh. to get you some attention, you know? Oh my God. I'm sure I've mentioned it in, in Cinemodities before, definitely to you before, the use of the word solutioning. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Somebody did it at my job recently, and I just... I. I was in the meeting and I, I just like into my mic. I was like, solve. <laughs> and they were like, what? And I was like, you're going to solve the problem. That word's already a verb. I'm going to solution. <laughs> no, no, we're going to solution. No, we're going to solution it. You're going to solve it. Uh, anyway. I, yeah. So whenever, whenever she says that, I, I very much was like, there are like, I thought about it a little more and I was like, okay, maybe, if I'm in some weird situation where I'm talking to someone who really doesn't understand things, I'm I might describe like the difference in how people write code as a texture. I don't think I would, but like you know what I mean? Like there there yeah. there are different feelings to codes. I would I would more to, to code. I, I think for myself I would more be I would be more likely to use the word fingerprint. I'd be like these codes have a different fingerprint or something. Sure. Oh, fingerprint totally. Yeah. Uh, but just the idea, like you can read different blocks of code and be like this code feels different than that code. Sure. Sure. I mean, the way we feel things feeling different in real life is texture, right? Yeah. Sure. Typically. Yeah. So like 
So like she could just be saying like that could just be like a, a weird uh I don't know, trying to sound cool way of saying like exactly. this code feels different. Exactly. Um yeah, so at first I was I like really rejected it and then I thought about it a little more. I was like, maybe it's not as bad as I felt like it was. It's still kind of goofy. It, no, it definitely is, but I think that if if you are in the with the right audience in the oh, right yeah, context and you say that and they're not going to think about it. That's going to earn you points in some yeah, oh, yeah. in some category. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this guy has a vision, so I'm saying exactly. Like, yeah, that's a great way to. Find it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I, I think I think you're right. It's the same. Oh, oh, that's why I brought that up. It's the same people who who say we're going to solution it. Yeah, yeah. Whenever you told them, it's like, well, we, we can try to solution it, but the the code over here has has a different texture than the code over there, and you know. <laughs> Yes, I like that. <laughs> but then you use all these cool words that people don't think about. You get hired for the job. It ter- you have to go to back to the meeting with your bosses and be like, well, why Why did your project lose $45 million? And you have to go, ah, they just had different textures, I guess. You know, <laughs> And they'll be like, you used that bullshit once on us. It's not going to fly anymore. <laughs> you know what they say, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on you again. You're an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> Oh, right on, right on. <laughs> Any other things you wanted to highlight about this movie or anything? Uh, I'm glad it was not nearly as philosophical as our original discussion, but we hit a lot of the same points. Yeah, anything else you wanted to highlight? No, I, I don't think so. I, ju- I think I just want to, like, my, my kind of final thoughts on this movie, uh, it's very much uh, a humanized version of the original. And to that point, to that end, I think it does that very well. Okay, okay. And I, I get I get where you're coming from. Like I said, I would I would not go so far as to call it a remake, as we discussed. Yeah. But it is it is faithful in a, in a lot of its visuals and taste uh, and textures. <laughs> but you know, some of the angles are a little off, and they didn't group the ingredients right. So you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Do, do you wear? Do you switch off? wearing your Rupert Sanders fan club hat and your Paul W.S. Anderson fan club hat, or, or do you wear them at the same time? Or are uh, they okay. the same hat? Or uh, is that blasphemy? <laughs> I'm glad that you that you asked, or do I wear them at the same time? Because I was going to say, like, why the fuck would you think I, I switch? Like, <laughs> yeah, I, can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't take one of them off. <laughs> then how would people know? Do you wear them one over each other, and then you just the one on top is the one that you're in the mode of? Like, right now, you'd be wearing the Rupert... Uh, Rupert Sanderson hat, Rupert Sanders hat. So okay. Uh, so the thing is, I do, but I have to have four of them because I I have to have one of each on my head at all times, and then I have to have one to put on top that's actually the one I'm displaying. Oh, okay. So I, <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> I'm, I'm now visualizing you in a situation where you would need to change which hat is on top and just seeing you with oh, many yeah, I, hats I, on your head. <laughs> I, I can't do it without at least one extra. So, I mean, I, I guess minimally I, I need three, but I went for the just-in-case scenario and sure, I got four. Sure. So, inevitably, when we have our next discussion and there's a new director that you are going to be an apologist for, Ben, um, do you think you we'll will— We'll be up to six hats. I was going to ask, do you, are you, uh, so are you going to keep stacking them on top of each other on your own head, or are you going to get, like, two mannequin heads mounted on your shoulders <laughs> so they can wear hats as well? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'm not going to mount them on my shoulder. I'm going to put them on a steel cross piece that is mounted to my neck. So that they will be level while I'm walking. <laughs> have you have you seen those contraptions where it's like 
one person in the middle, but then there's like a, a like a series of like sticks and stuff that makes it look like five people are walking in unison. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you walk around with that, and each thing has a different hat on it? <laughs> oh, not yet. We haven't found five directors. I've I've seen that used like Eric Andre I think does some bits with that type of contraption um on on uh, the Eric Andre show but I'm mm. like, I'm just imagining you walking around and be like you know these are all my, like nobody's asking what you're doing nobody would even notice that the hats are the point of what you're doing but you just walk around and scream be like these are my favorite directors I got the hats on they're from my fan club everybody join my fan clubs you know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's good. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad we're establishing where your where your affinity for directors truly lies. <laughs> All right, uh, is that it yes. for Ghost in the Shell 2017? I think so okay, yeah. okay. Well, then uh, that leads us to our questions. Uh, Cinemodities and late night. Um, I want to throw it over to you first, Ben. I want to know what your thoughts are first. This uh, after so, this whole discussion. All right. So here's the thing: Can a remake really be a cinemodity? since there's already one thing before it that is damn near the same. Mm, that's that's my first question. Okay. My my second I guess thought now. I I'm just I've mixed my lists. I don't know what's happening. Um it's a dynamic list uh or a list of dynamics I should say. <laughs> uh the It's a list of dynamics that is in itself dynamic. <laughs> well, yeah, it can change in length. It's 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 it's, it's not mutable. Or it is mutable. It's, yeah. Anyway, this is one of the first, maybe the first anime property to get a live action movie released in the theater, right? Or is there good, there? Uh, there's probably ones that are not as famous. Uh, I definitely right. don't think well, I know is... like Death Note got like a Netflix yeah, release yeah. and stuff, but like I, in terms of theater movies, like this is in in that way. If it is, if it's the first of its kind in that way. I would say it, it maybe is an honorary cinemodity just for being the first of its kind in a particular way. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, but overall, in terms of like what the movie is and presents, I, I would say it, it's right up there with a bunch of other sci-fi stuff. So it's not really that odd. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I, late late night. Yeah. I'm gonna give it a uh, let's see how, like a moderate. Yeah. A mo- I would. A moderate, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I I would I would subject somebody to this if. Uh, it, it's it, it's got to be know your audience because again this this is um it's just it's a certain type of movie some people are really not going to enjoy I think but if I if I ran into somebody that was like real into sci-fi shit like yeah sure okay okay that's fair that's fair I definitely don't real I I was looking through a list of um anime live action adaptations um I, I I can't believe I didn't think of this immediately we talked about it um Speed Racer was two thousand eight which is oh, very okay. much that was an anime yeah. you know um okay so definitely not the first this is. Probably, I, I this had to cost more than Speed Racer. I don't have the Speed Racer budget up, but I don't think Speed Racer think was so. like a hundred ten million dollars. Oh, now I want to know. Now uh, I want to know. Speed uh, li- Speed Racist. Here we go. Let's look it up. <laughs> so a little a little peek into into my brain. I don't know when most movies are made that we talk about or who their directors are. Speed Racer was a hundred twenty million. So that I was going to say okay. with all the cars and the launching around of shit, <laughs> like. <laughs> They did hire a monkey in that movie as well. <laughs> yeah, monkeys are expensive. <laughs> they had to kill. You ever try to hire too? a monkey? <laughs> <laughs> um, I see. I see what you're saying about your answers, though. Um, I'm, I'm definitely going to go no to cinemodities. I definitely think it. It is very visually interesting, but you know nothing off of like it is very much akin to like a Blade Runner or you know even somewhat of the Matrix or other dystopian things and stuff like that. Um, dystopian future tech cities. 
Uh, Cloud Atlas, too, the Neo Soul storyline in Cloud Atlas, definitely. Uh, late Night, I'm going to say no, and this is, I'm, I'm solely biased. If you're going to watch a Late this, Night Goat in the, the Sh- Yeah, watch the original. It, w- w- the movies that I like as, as Late Night movies, as you know, is like something to get some great conversation out of. This is the one where I'm like, yes, this is dense, philosophical, you know, uh, video essay type of stuff. That's what I'm all about. This one, it's it's just kind of that idea where it's like, you know, did their humanity get ripped away? Or like I said at the, near the start, it's like, should these, like, should they have been able, like, this corporate company be able to, like, take these brains and, you know, put them into new bodies? And it's like, if someone poses that question, be like, I don't fucking care, you know? <laughs> like, 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 the company's going to do what the company's going to do. I'm not interested that much in that idea. Uh, and that's, that's, I can definitely agree with that. I don't know that I'm going to have that kind of philosophical discussion about this. But I, I think the things I, I would have a philosophical discussion about are, like, the response to figuring out that your reality is fake, like that kind of shit. Sure, sure. I guess then, Ben, if nothing else on that, that brings us to snacks and the restaurant. I figured we'd start by, you know, um, just going through uh, things related to ghosts and shells. <laughs> um, so, okay. so, the, so like the Velveeta cheese and shells. You're on. You're on the track of what I, on the uh, the course of what I had. I was thinking. So we'd have you know like shells, like pasta shells. And they could be the they could be the small shells. They could be the bigger shells, which I think is manicotti, or is like the big shells. But we would have it as like pasta shells with ghost sauce, which is just like ghost pepper sauce. No, ghost sauce is just like not a sauce. It's just plain pasta. Uh, and we say uh, okay. that the sauce we put on it is the ghost of a previous sauce. <laughs> so clearly, we can't like it's not a physical thing, you know. But there is like an ethereal sauce on. Okay. The, on the on the pasta shells. <laughs> I'm I'm here for it. There's a ghost in the shell. Yep. And also the other idea I had for that, much like uh, I'm sure a lot of people have heard of uh, clams on the half shell, we would have ghosts on the half shell. <laughs> so okay. so this would be a plate of you know halved clam shells. So like the bottom of portion of a clam shell. But you know how there's some dishes you you might see in like a fancy cooking show or something that they will like you know. When it's delivered to you on the on the table, like the plate will be covered by like a dome, uh, and when they sure. lift it up, like a bunch of smoke will come out. Like the point will be for presentation, but also like the dish has had like smoke infused into it, and it's like yeah. c- covered by this thing. So, ghost on the half shell comes out like that. Like it's a it's a plate covered with like a a, a see through you know dome or something, and it's all smoky inside. And then when the waiter drops it off to the table. They take off the dome. All the smoke comes out. Like it's like, ooh, look at that presentation. But then it's just a plate of empty clamshells because the smoke was the ghost, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> so it's ghosts on the half shell, and it, the the smoke was the ghost, and then what you're left with is just shells. <laughs> what do I you like think? It. Okay, <laughs> that's that's good. That's really funny. So we got two. Ver- we got ghosts on the half shell, and then pasta shells with ghost sauce. Um, and I do want to shout out that my. My letterbox review for this movie was more like Ghost on the Half Shell, am I right? Because <laughs> it wasn't as good as the original. <laughs> That's good. Okay, those, those, right are some, those are some high quality, high quality contributions to the restaurant. Right on. I have a few others, but what do you have? For the, anything comes to um, mind for, for uh, the restaurant? Oh, I, I think that uh, we're going to need some invisible stuff for people to walk into. Now that we have access to this kind of camouflage, okay, okay, uh, we can just, you know, put invisible things wherever in the restaurant, and you know, let's see what happens. 
what uh like what things are you thinking to be invisible? Uh, like, like furniture. Pillars, okay, okay, like, pillars. Yeah, furniture, and stuff? Okay. couches. Yeah, sure, why not? Okay, okay, right on. Just solely for people to be like walk into them in the restaurant. I, I mean, well, if you figure out that there's a couch and you can sit on it, like good for you, but yeah. Okay, okay, right on, right on. I take it. <laughs> you know, so that way we got ghosts in the restaurant. Ghosts in the re- yes, absolutely. The shell, I mean, uh, any building technically is a shell. Like, who's to yeah. say what's not a shell, right? Do you eat your ghosts with or without the shell? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like I like my ghosts like my eggs with the shell. And, and pistachios. <laughs> I like to eat pistachios with the shell on, of course, you know. Yeah. That's why most of my teeth are fake, of course. <laughs> <laughs> So I mentioned it earlier, but I want to bring it up. Um, I definitely think that, uh, and maybe we can we can flesh this out more. I just have the idea of it, basically. The lawless, we sh- zone. the lawless zone. There should be a lawless zone in the restaurant, which might be, you know, an infinite space of measure zero or something in the restaurant, because the restaurant <laughs> is, of course, infinite. But no matter where, like, no matter what it is, and like I said, we might be able to flesh that out, the lawless zone should have some part of it that overlaps with the kids sin emodities portion of the restaurant like there should be like the lawless corner of the sin emodities portion or something like that you know and so when the when the parents come and they're like oh we're picking our kids up you know from the 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 kids area of the restaurant the people working there just have to be like you know sorry your kid went into the lawless area we don't really know what happened after that you know there's no there's no laws you know (laughs) I'm imagining the parents getting angry and be like, "What are you like? What are you telling me? There's nothing you can do." And the person being like, "Well, no, because there's no laws, you know." <laughs> uh, yeah. So whenever you say no laws, I, I assume you also mean like there's no physical laws either. So you mean like, like no law of like, like no friction law of gravity, and conservation like, of energy yeah, and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, exactly. <laughs> like things are just crazy there. <laughs> so the other thing I had, not a snack, but something for the restaurant. Uh, we should add these um, geisha companion robots. Uh, I think that uh, there's definitely a market for if people want some companionship, they get this geisha robot, and uh, there's probably even some people out there. It scares them. Well, no, I was was about to say there might be some people who are into that weird face underneath. That might be their their kink, you know? And uh, where else are they getting that? We need to to service this uh, subset of the population. They're not getting it anywhere else. I don't want to be servicing them directly, so I think the geisha is a good idea. It's in your contract, Ben. You can't get out of it. (laughs) <laughs> you signed it it's uh it's ironclad it's literally iron you engraved your name in iron to this contract yeah and it, cle- it there's a it's clearly like it's not even like a, a weird like you know in like a, a con like a house of representatives bill or anything or congress bill we have to be like you know section four subsection d sub subsection j you know it's just like section one geisha companion robot servicing or something like that you know um <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's in I, the constitution I'm, I'm it's exactly glad, what our forefathers intended <laughs> i'm glad it's that transparent um and I, I probably also should have read that before i before i tap and dyed my name into it i i tried to get you to read it but i remember very specifically i said ben here's the contract do you want to read it and you said bl- very bluntly no i don't like to read <laughs> <laughs> it's this is all true everybody um <laughs> so, yeah so i i think we, we, we haven't discussed actually making ghosts and shells that are robots with people brains no we haven't no and i do we want I'm, to do i'm that? wondering since we're gonna have a lawless zone should we also have somebody kidnap people from the lawless zone to turn into robots 
what, why do we want these people as robots? What is their use going to be? Because they seemingly, there's a bad track record, at least from what we know in these movies, with the Puppet Master, with Kuze, with Kusanagi in both forms. They usually end up turning on their creators, or not being the most, they're, they're usually problems in the long run, right? I Yeah, so I think the purpose of them is just to inconvenience the person that we made a robot. Okay, so you want to go more of like the Black Mirror route of like their their consciousness is trapped in something that's not good for them. <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Okay, I can get behind that. Yeah. And you know, we have to we have to start. Like, obviously, this took them a while. They failed several times. We have to. Um, we're gonna have to to test it out several times, and I expect the first several ones like won't be able to move. We can only hope. <laughs> they'll just be they'll just be like stationary robots. Yeah. Um... I mean, not not robots that are about letter writing. Uh, which I know is sure, yes, the, the yes. most common <laughs> definition of stationary. That's good. That's good. Uh, anything else for the restaurant, Ben? Anything else come to mind? I don't think that we need anything else. I think this is enough. Okay. This is perfect. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, I think then the last thing I want to say about this movie in general is uh, as much as I uh, disliked it compared to Ben's more, uh, you know, positive nature towards it uh, i am very much glad that i watched it um you know very much in that first discussion i saying like i've never seen it i don't really have any desire to see it uh, i am glad that i i got to see it and made this comparison because it, it it was not all terrible those visuals were great so i am glad i saw it i'm glad it lent us this conversation of the remake reboots how is it done that type of thing because that stuff's fascinating um so i am glad that we got to see it for sure even though it is racist of course and we probably shouldn't have been able to see it <laughs> did you speaking of which uh did you um bust out your library card and get a hoopla account because i don't actually I don't know if i told you that you need like a like hoopla is like a, a public library streaming service or something like oh, that whoa like you uh, can, i don't I, have yeah i don't either um ben and i joked i think maybe on recording but definitely off mic last time we talked that i was like oh where can we watch is this streaming ghost in the shell 2017 and it's on hoopla and Hoopla, it turns out, I was like, oh, well, if it's free there, I'll just go watch it there. I went to make a Hoopla account to, like, get it, and it was like, oh, you need a library card. And I'm like, well, fuck, I don't have one of those. <laughs> um, but apparently Hoopla is this, like, you can sign up for free if you have, like, a valid library card in, like, I'm I was guessing, like, libraries that are participating in this. And yeah, sure. um, that's where you can stream this. Um, I, I didn't get the chance to do that. I kind of just want a library card to see what else I can get on Hoopla, you know? Sure. Hoopla! Ooh, hoopla. Um, I I don't have a library card either, but I live very close to a library, so right on. I could probably right on. I could probably go attack a child that's leaving the library and still theirs. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking the uh the like they they like the parent goes back to the library and be like, my son got attacked. The only thing they took was his library card. Can you see like what? that has like activity on it or something? Like, is there any way to tell that with library cards? And the librarian is just like. They just watched Ghost in the Shell 2017 on Hoopla. That's it. <laughs> Your child was seemingly attacked and, and robbed for that movie, I guess. <laughs> nice. Hoopla. I... Hoopla. <laughs> Hoopla. Um... Sounds like a lot of... Hoopla! It sounds like a lot of... Hoopla! Sounds like a... Hoopla! Hoopla! Sounds like a lot of hoopla to make over a little Krabby Patty, right? <laughs> Wrong! Yeah, so then uh, I guess um, 
next time, the next remake we're going to cover, I don't think we know exactly what it is, uh, but we got them. We got them coming, you know, so stay tuned for more of that idea. Remakes, reimagining, reboots, modernizations, all those R-words, modernization, whatever, you know. No, modernization is kind kind of an R-word because an M, like a lowercase M, looks like two lowercase R's next to each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, okay. Look at that. We're we're so, so rarely, but this time, yeah. <laughs> it's fluid. All the connections are just fluid here in this podcast. Is that um, a song by Crudbum? <laughs> yes, one of your favorites, right? <laughs> it is. Uh, it's an explanation of fluids. Uh, Somebody actually described my magic deck as uh, working. They were like, "It works very well. It's very fluid." And I and I was like, "Hey, hey, Google, play fluid by Crudbum." <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good poll because of course whenever you do that to somebody and play a crud bump song for them their immediate response is going to be like i get why you thought of this but what the fuck is this and why do you know to think of this <laughs> <laughs> as you know assuming that you knew about this before this moment it makes sense that this conjured it <laughs> yes <laughs> i actually have recently shown some people crud bump and and they are like what the fuck is this? And I'm always like, the best thing ever. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and then like later I'll be like, I think there's only like me and one other person that likes that. This. Yeah, yeah. But we we know we know why we like it because it speaks the hard truths. Kurt Bump speaks the truth that most people won't speak. For example, chickens can't fly, so they fit in my mouth. That's, <laughs> that's, a, right. that's a hard truth that most people shy away from. I mean, fuck. I was hoping that you know we were gonna get some real politicians in these last few years who know about chickens not Jeez. flying so they fit in my mouth, but they don't want to. They don't want to deal with that. It's, they shy right. away from the hard truth. It's upsetting. Uh, we need uh, yeah, someone that's... like Drew, whose name, last name I don't know, but Crudbomb himself to run for office. <laughs> yeah, the uh, it, it's definitely, uh, what, what, what should I say? That's that's like the biggest problem with like the Biden administration, the Trump administration, <laughs> the Obama administration. Uh, they didn't know... That chickens don't fly, so they fit in Rob's mouth. Uh, and they also... <laughs> I like that you used me specifically there. <laughs> I mean, it's clear from from the Biden administration at this point, uh, the government doesn't know how to go stomp it through your house looking for eggs. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They don't know what it's like to be Bigfoot. Stomping through your house again. Looking, Looking for, for eggs. <laughs> oh, man. Good old crud bump. Well, if you like crud bump <laughs> and you like what you, you heard. If you want to hear more about crud bump, <laughs> yeah. check out the Patreon. Exactly. If you like crud bump and you like what you heard, check out the Patreon. I guess we, we might be able to think of uh, some. We don't have like a tie in for remake. Or, oh, no, we kind of do. Oh, Ben, we can talk about that off mic because it's a fan request that we've been actually talking about discussing, which actually is a remake, and it's remade by the same guy who made the original, which is a whole different level we didn't even talk about. Someone remaking their own movie. Wow. Okay, so we do have a good tie-in. So if you are interested by what I just said, and uh, Ben seemed, you know, nonplussed by, (laughs) (laughs) uh, definitely check out the Patreon to get that info. And uh, also for more... Great discussions uh, with Ben and I um, about a whole bunch of movies, fan requests, stuff like that, uh, that you can join and be a part of and support the podcast. Check it out, patreon.com slash cinemodities. Now I'm excited for that tie-in to the remake, remaster, and stuff like that. Uh, Ben's jacked up as well. <laughs> yeah, I'm, 
I'm jumping off the bouncing off the walls. That one, not jumping. It's dangerous. <laughs> just bouncing. Just okay. That's that's good. Good. We got to be safe. Um, you don't want to turn into a ghost that we're gonna use for a half shell or something. Yeah. Put if the sauce if you want to uh, talk about the thematic implications of this movie, or uh, if you think what defines sentience, because I think that's what I said in the first discussion, uh, email us cinematics at gmail dot com. And uh, other than that, Ben, any uh, anything else at the end before we talk about how to how to uh, end this episode? I'm going to be selling those fan club hats soon. Okay, um, good. That'll be our first uh, merch for things not really related to this podcast. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So I'll um <laughs> I'll, I'll let you guys know more about that. Um, I I know that there's people that have been emailing me privately because that is information that's available yes, to you guys. Yes. Okay. Perfect. Um. And, and yeah, and, I'll, I'll um, let you guys know. And I I I think what you from what you told me about your plan on this, they're going to be available in packs of four and six. Is that correct? You, you can't buy individual. Hats. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Four and six. That's right. I, I dig that. I dig that. Okay, right on. Well, yeah, everybody stay tuned for that. We'll have some uh, links in, in future episodes where you can buy these fan club hats for Ben because it's a, it's a lucrative business. They actually have more followers than this podcast does, um, which I don't fully understand because uh, <laughs> I think you can only find out about these fan clubs if you listen to this podcast. Um, so I don't know how it's getting more traffic, you know. <laughs> But that that's Ben's thing. It's all it's all well and good. I'm not making I'm not uh, you know, I'm not acting salty about that or anything, you know. <laughs> um but okay, then how do we end this episode? Um I actually have something Ben. Uh I was originally thinking that we would just use maybe the ending credits music because that's really, you know, the the standout of the score from this. But in my research, I found that there is imagery from this movie uh, kind of maybe not recreate some of it recreated some of it just inspired by um, in the visuals and the uh, scenes in the music video for the song Ready for It by Taylor Swift. Oh shit! I did not. I I didn't actually go and watch that music video. I will while I'm editing this probably. But I was just kind of shocked that uh, this song, uh, this music video for a Taylor Swift song, included imagery from this movie. Um, I also don't know that song. I don't really know Taylor Swift other than the famous ones either. Do you have, do you have any experience with Ready for It by Taylor Swift? I I don't, but uh, to be completely honest, Taylor Swift has never struck me as somebody who is ready for anything. Uh, it's from the album Reputation. It's her sixth album. Oh, my God. Uh, d- <laughs> well, it turns out I was incredibly mistaken. She's very ready. Does me saying that change your answer at all? And you're like, oh, now I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm 100% aware of that song that is on the sixth album that I previously didn't know the name um, of. So I figured uh, maybe uh, to introduce, if our, if, since you and I don't know it, if our cinema audience doesn't know it, uh, we'll play that song in reverse at the end of this episode. What do you think? Sounds great. I like, I like your enthusiasm. Ich 